0: It's just a teenage boy doing sound effects with his mouth.
1: (laughs) Which you'd expect (laughs) lots of dudes from. Welcome to Pratchett, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club
2: podcast. Each month we discuss one of Terry Pratchett's books with a special guest.
1: This month we're discussing Only You Can Save Mankind, the first of the Johnny Maxwell series, and also Ender's Game Boy.
2: (laughs) And our guest is writer and editor Steve Lamartina. Welcome, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me.
1: I just... Waved. I don't know why.
2: Oh, you know, when, when I was a kid, I used to do that to the TV, so I totally understand. <laughs>
1: that was very cute. Yeah, I'll wave back.
2: Okay. Oh, but this is better than the TV. They never wave back on the TV. Um, I aimed, please. Oh, well, that's I... actually
1: relevant to the to the book. Oh, it's true.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's not just nonsense. Um, <laughs> but Steve, this is this is actually this is exciting. We don't do this very often, but we do sometimes have people on who have never read a Pratchett before, and you are one such person.
0: I am. I do feel like a bit of an imposter. No. No. <laughs> and also, you don't need to, to read this book. yeah, so. no, this is a
2: great first book, I think. Yes, thank mm. you. You've been very accommodating so far. <laughs> You're a genre fan. Yes. I take it. That You're is You like fantasy and sci-fi. I do. Why have you never read Pratchett before?
0: Well, I do remember the books from my youth. So probably my early teens, I would have started s- noticing them around, like the very colourful, graphic-filled covers. But because at the time I was reading a lot of... uh point horror and thriller and not so much any of the kind of fantasy books. I got into science fiction a little bit later on. I guess it just kind of wasn't part of my reading style at the time. Mm. So, yeah, I was reading about vampires and uh, serial killers and things like that.
2: (laughs) uh, Which vampire? I have to know. I love vampires. Uh, Do you know Christopher Pike? i'm familiar with the name i don't think i've he read
0: wrote a series called the Last Vampire series, and that was kind of my world when I was in about grade six five six onwards wow for a few years yeah, so was it, it age of,
2: appropriate
3: uh, mm
2: not really <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay okay that's probably why I liked it though
2: mm. yeah i like the I like the sound of it I'm a big fan of a series called The Last Werewolf, so I feel like it's a nice. Ooh. It's a nice dovetail there. Twinning. Which also has vampires in it, so...
1: Everything is vampire... Even Terry Pratchett has vampires in it. Like, it's just... Is there a series that is completely free of vampires?
0: Um, well... Is there any vampires in Lord of the Rings?
1: I mean, Not there as could be. Not such.
2: We mm. don't know. I mean, orcs are a sort of vampire. No. Well, whites are more like vampires, surely. Yeah. Barrow Whites. They're kind of like zombies. Well, no, they're pretty vampire-y. I think right? orcs are like <laughs> zombies. Orcs are more like yeah, they're a bit zombie-ish. Yeah, they're alive, but they're like zombies.
1: Yeah, but they've been like, blurred. tinkered oh, with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like zombies.
2: Yeah, true, true. Um, are we speaking alien language to our listeners? Do we think? No, surely they know.
1: <laughs> if it doesn't sound like uh, foot stepping on a cow pad, then it's not an alien
2: language. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> Well, shall we discuss the book we're here to talk about? Let's do it. Why not? The one and only... only... If not us, who will? Well... well... <laughs> then who? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, let's start, as we traditionally do, with a reading of the blurb. If not you, who else? As the mighty alien fleet from the very latest computer game thunders across the computer screen, Johnny prepares to blow them into the usual million pieces, and they send him a message. We surrender. They're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to die. And computer joysticks don't have don't fire buttons. It's hard enough trying to save mankind from the galactic hordes. It's even harder trying to save the galactic hordes from mankind. But it's only a game, isn't it? Isn't it? Ooh. <laughs> it's a good blurb. and a- It's a good book. I Now, this is one I haven't read, I don't think, since... I would have bought it and read it originally, which would have been pretty close to the time it came out. Cause I started reading Pratchett when I was about, well, I was kind of Johnny's age. I was a little bit older than him. Like if this, this was published in 92 and he was 12. So I was, a, I was a year older than him. There you go. Now listeners know exactly how old I am, by <laughs> the way, which I don't think I've ever revealed on the podcast before. So I was very much his age and playing the same kind of games that are portrayed in this book so it was very exciting for me i was i was remember being really into this when i read it originally but i didn't remember a lot of the plot i kind of knew the gist and i was like i don't remember how it works out or this
1: is my first time reading this book from this series and i didn't know what to expect i was just like all i knew was games and i was like well it's gonna be like that book where they get sucked into a game is mm. it like i can't remember what's called is ready play one maybe no
2: well, there's, like a, a, few there's of them. a, there's a grand tradition of stories where that happens yeah. now. I mean, Tron, I don't think Tron was the first, but it was certainly the big, first yeah. big one. But then you have things like, uh, The Last Starfighter, which isn't really getting sucked into a video game, but it's sort of getting into a real situation via a video game. So it's got parallels with this, which I think predates this. I think that was late 80s mm-hmm. or possibly 1990. For more books in which the video game comes to life, we'd like to recommend one of Ben's favourites from back in the eighties, *Space Demons* by Gillian Rubinstein, followed by two sequels, *Sky Maze* and *Shinkei*, and also the *Gamers Quest* series by a friend of Splendid Chats Productions, George Ivanoff.
1: And what about the Ender series? Because I actually haven't read them yet. So I was going to say, I my brain the whole time fought to make this Ender's game. Like uh-huh. I've read the the first one because I heard the others are a bit crap. But um, I read the the main one, the famous one that got made into a movie, and yeah, the whole time from the very opening. I was kind of like, "Enders Game, Enders Game, Enders Game," and I couldn't stop imagining him as Azar Butterfield, which is now more complicated because he's now the lead in Sex Education. So That's just like oh, a whole I started watching that thing. It. Yeah, it's very
2: good. Yes, so but, I've heard.
1: Yeah, there are like parallels with it, but not quite. Like it's
2: because that's set in the future, isn't it? Mm. Game, yeah, and it's about an actual galactic war but they train they're, up the pilots. They're in space.
1: Yeah, and but it's like so spoilers ahead for Ender's game. I'll try not to do them as much for you guys as well. I'm going to skirt around some of the bigger plot points. But um yeah, so there is a big alien war and the only people who are fast enough at doing the guns and all and flying the spacecraft are children because their reflexes are better. So promising children are taken out of school and put into a special training school to fight the Formics. Um who are the enemy and they look like ants. That's why they called the formics mm-hmm. and Ender is like the best of them all. And he goes through this whole boot camp of things and they basically do training games to, to simulate what it's going to be like to fight right. this enemy. And over time he starts to get flashes from the other side of like, he starts to see what it's like for the formics. So there is like a lot of mm-hmm. parallel. yeah, Okay. But yeah, I think the, the message is different. And the tone is very different as well.
2: Yeah. But, yeah. I'm always a sucker for, for these stories that sort of turn that idea about, oh, the aliens are obviously evil around. Mm. Um, Doctor Who has done that some, in a great way sometimes.
1: To drink if you're playing the, the Doctor Who,
3: yeah.
2: Ben mentioning it on the <laughs> podcast, <laughs> Drinking Game. Well, look, you know, we also have done it in Night Terrace as well, <laughs> so my, my own series. But look, um, we, should, we should discuss the plot of the book, although I do want to talk about the thing that appears before the plot because, um, and hopefully it's still in your edition, mm-hmm. but the dedication in my copy says, yet another one for Rihanna, who is who is Pratchett's daughter. uh uh-huh. I noticed who that. loves video games, or at least I, I presume would have been a kid who loved video games because she grew up to work in video games as a video game writer. Oh, really? Um, and she's, yeah, she's really great. She wrote a game called Overlord, and she also worked on the new um, Tomb Raider games. Oh, great. Um, so, yeah, she's a great writer as well. And um, so, yeah, I, I think... This, make, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This book would have been for her.
1: But she's also good a context. good writer. So, like, that's just God giving with two hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's just
2: <laughs> it's terrible. How dare. Theory. Really. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, we have The Back of the Box. Because this is from an era, and we should address this straight up, like the book was written in the the early 90s. It was published in 1992 originally, Mm. and it is very mired in that early 90s era of computer games. Which is addressed in
1: the author's note in later editions, which talks about it's very specifically of an era where games were getting more realistic, while television footage of war, which in that case was the Gulf War, was looking more like a game because you were seeing it from a different perspective. Mm. So the line between reality and fiction was blurring, which... I think quite clearly is something he was keen to explore in this book. So he's given it that context in there. Plus like thrown in a few jokes about things not being cool or rad anymore. Um, (laughs) And he mentions shoes that were like popular in 2003. I'm like, I didn't know those were popular in 2003. So what does that say?
0: I
3: didn't. I don't Okay. What good. Those were at all? Yeah. Well, okay. look,
2: they, that could have been a UK thing only as well. So don't yeah, worry okay. yourselves. I sure didn't know what what shoes were and weren't cool in two thousand. Well, as
1: long <laughs> as we're still cool, because we just didn't know if UK cool shoes. But
2: okay. Yeah, yeah. you definitely both still cool in my book. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was an era when video games, particularly computer games, came in big boxes, and the boxes had all kinds of stuff written on the back, just like the first page of the book, which so accurately captures that era uh, for me. I loved it as, as so much, um, uh, while also being a wonderful piss take and listing what what things you can play the game on. It was great.
0: I, I do it. remember those times, getting one of the boxes and then always having to look down the bottom just to see if your computer met the requirements. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, yeah, there were some, some sad times when I realised I just didn't have enough memory to run it.
2: I remember when I first got a hard drive that was big enough you could install a whole game on it? You didn't have to swap discs around. Oh man, that was a, that was a glorious well, time in my life.
0: Just the it, amount of megabytes that well, it would probably bytes to start. Oh <laughs> no, it was it was it was a couple of meg.
2: It was like I think I I think our first hard drive was like forty megabytes or something. Yeah. That's kind of crazy to think of now, isn't it? No. Around the time that I was playing a lot of these games was 1992. It was mm-hmm. the year this book was published. I was living in rural New South Wales inland. And um, the other thing that really rings true for me is how Johnny gets his video games, which we'll come to, oh, because yeah. there was no such thing as a video game shop anywhere near where I oh, lived. Interesting.
1: Around that time, I got my first Game Boy and it came with a cartridge that had a thing on the back that you could click to flick through games It had like 20 games On it, Mm -hmm. which I never seen, I haven't seen one of those since because I thought that was normal. But was just, I think it was a knockoff one from Hong Kong somehow,
3: quite possibly. But
1: one of the games was Space Invaders or a version of it, and so I thought that was like a new game at that time. So (laughs) I was like, "What do What do they mean? Um, Space Invaders is an old game in
3: in this book?" (laughs) So because
1: I'm not really a games person, so I kind of just lump them all in a one era, like it's like the 80s and 90s are the same, and then. Then you play Barbie Print and Play, and then you play <laughs> Freddy Fish. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Peter's Worlds of Color. Nice. Yeah. So nice. These are all relatable games, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. Well, I don't Fre- know
3: what Freddy Fish is.
1: Freddy. Oh, uh, Freddy Fish is this game <laughs> where you are a fish called Freddy, and the one that I had was um, Freddy Fish and the Kelp Treasure. And the Kelp Treasure has been stolen. It's like a a chest full of seeds to plant kelp. Okay. So you spend the whole game trying to find it and you have clues and you go do do little challenges like you have to go buy a watch from a sneaky starfish that has like a trench coat full of watches and (laughs) things like that and at the end the treasure is in the boat spoilers um once you go there and you exchange the and you can only see it if you use the glowing shell which you get from another cave this is the only game I've ever finished, by the way, so that's why I'm so into it. Um, <laughs> Fair. You get the kelp and then automatically a video starts playing once you've done it, where it just distributes the kelp all over all the places you've been. Oh. So um, you have s- solved climate change, I guess. Sustainability. Yeah. Okay.
2: Only You Can Save Mankind, as described on the back of the box, uh, is more like it's a a space combat simulator, which was... One of my other favourite genres, like I was a real adventure game fan. I didn't really go in for shooting games very much, except for space games where you get to fly a spaceship and blow up other spaceships. Um, and this was sort of the era of the big ones at the time of the Wing Commander series, which mm-hmm. later on, uh, which famously featured like a lot of full motion video um, cutscenes. And eventually, I don't know if he was in the first one, but Mark Hamill was in a lot of them. Mm. Um, and they had all these other actors as well who were like, How they, they got I all these big Hollywood actors. Uh, And the aliens were called the Kilrathi and they were like big lion people. Mm. It was cool. Several sources cite Terry Pratchett as a tremendous fan of space combat games, in particular Wing Commander, but also the later X-Wing and TIE Fighter games. All favourites of Ben's as well. This might explain why that's the kind of game in Only You Can Save Mankind. And maybe it wasn't just for Rihanna. That's kind of the analog here of, yeah. of this era where those sort of games that were looking better and better were coming out. And, and then people did feel like, oh, they're just going to get more better and better looking until you can't distinguish them from reality. Mm. And we've kind of hit a wall with that now. I think where we, we've entered the uncanny valley and they're not quite good enough to fool you into thinking they're real people. But yeah.
1: Well, we're all plugged into the matrix right now. <laughs>
2: well, that's good. That could be true. <laughs> and they, they, they want we
1: us to think that we haven't got there yet. <laughs>
2: it's true. Um, and this is and Steve you wouldn't know this but it's quite unusual for Pratchett to write a book with chapters. Oh really? He only does it for his children's books generally, um with a few rare exceptions. So how do they normally work? It's um, all one it's lump. Just, yeah, okay. Very cinematic so they they have those sort of section breaks. Yeah. Like a, they still have in this book, but Well, that's it. your
0: book had that. My book did not have that. Oh no. <laughs> well because it was an ebook. Yeah, that was one of the things that I found quite interesting at the start just because I assumed that it was just following on. Hmm. And in the first chapter, there was a section where it jumped straight from Johnny's bedroom straight into the captain yes. in the spaceship. And I was just yes. like, oh, wait, what? It was literally the next line down. <laughs> Is the alien I, in his bedroom? What's happening?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's jarring if you don't get it. It the... was
0: very jarring. So I had, to, I, after that, I kept it in mind. And uh, yeah, it happened many times <laughs> throughout the book. And I had to just keep like, oh, yeah, it's happened again. Reread
1: the line. Where oh. are they now? But then what happened when it was the scene where, like, he actually was in her room and they were, like... Yeah. <laughs> to that. yeah. Even
0: more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I can imagine. Like, I can't tell if this is a new scene or not. Yeah. So I have two questions about the start of the book. Yeah. So as readers, are we supposed to initially think that he's in an actual battle or are we supposed to know straight away that he's playing a game? That's my first question.
3: I, I
2: think because of the premise of the book, like, if you've read the blurb, you know, so I don't think he's trying to fool you. Okay. Yeah.
1: My second question is, if you were playing a game and a message came up that said, we surrender, please don't shoot us, what would you do?
2: Oh, I'd, I'd like, well, I mean, these days that, that does happen in yeah. some games. Uh, not exactly that, but that sort of thing. In fact, one of, the, one of my favorite space games was um, Star Control 2 which was a sort of sprawling adventure game where you did have these little two-dimensional, like it wasn't fancy like this with 3D graphics. So you, you weren't inside the spaceship looking mm. out, you were looking down at a two-dimensional representation of the spaceships flying around as if from above. And um, you did get into fights like that, but most of the time you flew around talking to aliens and trying to get them to join up with you to defeat the alien menace mm. um, that was threatening the entire galaxy. And yeah, I would totally, I'd be like, yeah. Sure, you can surrender. What what, what do we do now? (laughs) I think
0: if there was a cursor flickering on the screen, I would definitely try and write something back to them. Mm. Because before these games, I had one of the old Macintoshes. And a lot of those games were just those, the floppy disks that you put in, and it was just those games that were text games where it was just like, you're in a Western town. Yeah, What do you do next? And you just have to go walk forward. And then they're just like, that doesn't exist, and then you're like, <laughs> forward. Oh, yeah. Yes. Now you're in a room <laughs> with a bar, and then you're like, go left. You're dead. A snake bit you, <laughs> yeah. and it literally every single thing that you did, you died. Was that
1: fun? No.
0: <laughs> but I had a hundred of them because I used to get them from the market. So oh yeah, right. We had I had I just would die like several times on one, and then I just go oh I'll just play another one, and
2: yeah, there were good ones.
0: Yeah, it was interesting too because looking back at those ones, you know, I guess it was the it was that kind of beginning of storytelling on computers for me because you really do create the um you have images in your head of the space because of the way that they're telling it but
3: yeah,
0: yeah so i guess if uh getting back to this if if someone wrote to me on the screen i'd i'd probably try writing something very simply back to them mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> back in the the early 90s just to see what
2: happened
1: why well, that means yes doesn't it why the word <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: There's a, there's actually a Twitter account which replicates things that people have typed into those text adventure games that the parser (laughs) doesn't understand and then has a, and I don't know if they're real ones or if they're just auto generated fake ones that are kind of ridiculous, but it's very funny. (laughs) I'll have to link to that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, we, we, we quickly jump into our space combat game. Um, I love the, the sound effect of the lasers sounds exactly like what the lasers in TIE fighter sound like. (laughs) So I was very on board for that. Um, and I I love the title. It's called The Hero with a thousand extra lives. (laughs) Yes. Straight in with the Campbell reference. That's very literary for a book for middle grade readers. I like it. Don't dumb it down, Bradchet. <laughs> uh but yeah, he's fighting, he's shooting. Um and pretty much immediately by the third page of the prose the, the, the inciting incident has happened. In fact, even by the second page, really, because they say we wish to talk and then they say we surrender. Um and that's like the first thing that happens. Like there's no there's no preamble. It's like let's let's get to it. Here's yep. the point. And I, I really liked that about the book.
0: One of the things that I found a bit tough at the start of this book was actually not uh, – I wasn't sure actually if it was a Terry Pratchett thing or if it was just because it was written at a slightly younger age group and, well, slightly, that's being kind to myself. <laughs> Let's say quite <laughs> quite, a, of us quite a different <laughs> – Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I read my first Terry Pratchett book at 35. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I found it was quite sparse in a lot of ways – and so to start with it was quite jarring because I wasn't sure if uh it was just the yeah, it was just something about the age level or whether it was his writing style. Um, so I was not really quite sure how to take it to start with, but I got on board. Yeah, Throughout.
1: Yeah. I think it's a bit of both. Like yeah. I, it is quite different to how his other ones work, I think.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and this is something we talked about when we did Truckers, which is the first book in his other main middle grade series which um, when we had Amy Kaufman on, she was talking about how in a middle grade level you do write fairly directly. Mm. You don't talk about too much about people's inner motivations and worries and stuff. You just sort of get to the action a bit more. Um, and I think in this book it's interesting because he does do that, but also there is a lot of how or at least thinking about what's happening, if not articulating your feelings. But there's also some great bits where the feelings come out. And I thought mm. it was pitched really well for the age group. Um, Yeah, because it rang very true to me with Mm. my experience with kids in that age group, Um, yeah.
1: I like how this is not about that. I like how he's like, this has gone wrong, let's check the manual, and the manual was not helpful.
2: Yeah, which it never was.
1: But you would, yeah, but that's (laughs) definitely what
0: you would do because obviously these days manuals are non-existent, but back then they used to have quite a lot of information. They were basically just like mini books.
2: Mm. And a bunch of other crap in the box as well. That's why they were in such big boxes. For starters, you had to fit all the floppy disks in, but then you'd get like a manual that was 100 pages long. And then yeah. you'd get like a cloth map. And then you'd get like a little code wheel that you had to put in answers from to start the game to try and prevent people from copying it. And then you'd have like just crap.
0: He references, they reference that in here as well. Yeah. Mm. How he talks about the having a code and having to find the, the, the fifth word on like the seventh page or something, and putting mm. it in, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm sure there was a few games that I had to do that with. Yeah. yeah, although we'll probably get to it later. But yeah, having a cousin that would burn a lot of the games for me, we'd have to make sure that we had
1: that information. As yeah, because we couldn't just text it. each other either. No, no, exactly. Which I
0: mean, comes up we later did have in this book, ICQ or. One of the messengers back then that we would use.
2: Not in 1992 we did. Really? No. No. Okay. That was pre-ICQ. Like, I mean, you could get on IRC, but that meant you had to be in a chat room with someone else. You could send private messages, but nobody had that. Like, yeah, yeah. That's like true. I was when I had an email address for the first time, I was like one of the only people I knew. Like it was, it was, it was a weird. Did thing. you get a
1: good email address?
2: I did actually, because my local ISP uh, was pretty small, because it was back in the era when there were still lots of local ones when they were starting up, and the local one where I grew up near Byron Bay was called Om dot com. <laughs> Actually, I thought it was great. So, my email was like benjamin at om.com. That's pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> Dot And I was like, this is great.
1: First name only.
2: It's just, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I, um, I didn't that. keep that email address for very long, but it was good.
0: I never even thought to use my first name when I was trying to get an email address. I just put down, actually, the title of one of my favorite picture books and it was, and my age. Was probably the first one. So it was groundsall15 at yahoo.com.
2: Oh, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I just had like ones drawn from things I liked. It wasn't until I was at uni that I did one with my name, and that was only because someone was like, no, I've invited you to Gmail. Don't make it silly.
2: Yeah. I <sighs> remember when you had to get one. an invitation to get on Gmail. Yeah. It was yeah. Exciting days. Wow, this is really going to be an impenetrable podcast to people under the age of 20, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no, you're learning history. Yeah. You're learning history. Oh, no, it's folks. not
1: history. It's just our lives.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> All, it, it, I know that's history. what history is Yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> All but, of history is our lives uh, uh, mm. uh, I mean look there's there's great lines in here Like stuff like uh, it, there wasn't a don't fire button And, and some of the things that are yeah. in the blur But it's, there's some good gags even right at the start um, And quite a disdain for the British school system <laughs> And the nonsense the kids have to do <laughs> Like the colouring in the map of the world Oh yeah it's, I had
0: that That was the first part That was the first section where there was no break for me
2: Oh yeah that's right it's colouring
0: in Great Britain in geography and putting a dot on the map of the world where you thought it was, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that really brought back a traumatic school exercise where they gave us a, a big map and you had to colour in all the significant rivers. And because it was just like a mass of lines, so I'm terrible at geography. And also, there wasn't the internet. I remember spending like what felt like seven hours sitting there with a blue pencil trying to trying to colour in these rivers. And I did a half-assed job of it, and I left it out, and I went to bed, and Dad came in, and he's like, what is this? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do it better. But oh,
0: no. The whole world?
1: I can't remember, but it felt like it. <laughs> There's so many rivers. That's intense. But also, um, I enjoy that he wrote, Die a Lion Scum. It was, it was his first instinct, because he thought it was part of the game. So.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: It's so yeah. your right. A-L-E-I-N, sort of alien, yeah. which is how oh, yes. you spell it if you hadn't seen it written out, alien.
2: Well, so he's probably not very good at typing. You know, nobody was back in those days unless you, it was your actual job. Yeah, exactly.
0: Those classes that I think those classes that, uh, only started at high school for me.
2: We never had to do it in high school. The year this was out, our, our computer, we had a computer lab of Macintosh classics mm. and they had, well, I don't think they were called classics at the time. <laughs> I think they were just Macintoshes. But uh, they, they did have like Mavis Beacon teachers typing on it uh, which was the classic typing tutor program at the time.
0: We literally just had a small Scottish lady standing at the front of the class saying A S D F. JK semicolon space. <laughs> 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 wow. And that's all I remember from year seven. <laughs> okay.
1: My mum was really big on typing proficiency and mm-hmm. I spent a lot of my school holidays. So I'd have to spend at least half an hour every day doing a typing tutor, except I had this weird DOS one that would sprout gibberish at you and you had to just <laughs> type the gibberish so oh. you couldn't even oh. make it from
2: words. This does remind me we, we had a Commodore 64 game that was like all letters and numbers based, Mm. but one of them was like Space Invaders, but you had to type the words that were coming Mm. down the screen in order to shoot at them, which is kind of like the typing of the dead, which was a much later game with a similar premise, which was um, House of the Dead except instead oh, wow. of a gun your character had a backpack computer with a keyboard and you had to type the words that were displayed above the heads of the zombies in order to kill them.
0: I would have loved that back then.
2: It was pretty intense. That's not even that old. Like that was late 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, I love that that now. was an adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can still get it and probably find it for free on the internet somewhere.
1: Well, I had a similar thing where it was like a Marvel game where you had to do maths. So you had like to to like shoot something you had to solve a multiplication and type in the number and then
2: mm. it would shoot. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's for long brain games back yeah. in the day. Well, look, we we should we should um, oh, yes. <laughs> we, we have we have been lost in nostalgia for some time, but the chapter does barrel on because the first thing Johnny does is like, this is weird. I'm going to ask Wobbler about it and introduces his friend Wobbler, who's the one who copies the games for him. Yes, because like us, he didn't. He, well, he probably could have bought them. I mean, he's living in a in an English country town. It's never that far from civilization, and they do have a computer store where you can buy these games. But Wobbler doesn't know what he's talking about. He's like, nah, like that that's, sounds like it's probably just like a glitch in the game or something. He's um, already on to the next game, yeah. the next 10 games. But he also can't bring himself to tell Wobbler what's really going on, like that the game characters are talking to him and they're surrendered. So he keeps it to himself because mm. he thinks it's a bit weird. And he goes back to the game um, and they talk to him again and this time they ask him, he says, okay, I'll accept your surrender and they ask him to provide safe conduct. And he says yes and then the game just turns off. And he's a bit like, what is happening? And what does um, safe conduct mean? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know. I'm just a 12-year-old kid. I don't know what's going on. And we also find out that the other reason why this is a bit tough for him is things aren't so great in the Maxwell household. Mm. Um, trying it's, times. It's trying times with capital T's. I mean, yeah, full on.
0: Is that kind of capitalization and alliteration something that is Pratchett-like?
2: He does not use words well.
1: Like he will break grammar rules to make sure words come across in ways that are somehow universally understandable. So, like, yep. it's just using them beyond what is usually there.
0: Yeah, because yeah. so. I guess to start with with using the trying times with capitalization, it was used quite a bit. Mm. Um, And it almost didn't work, but because it kind of kept up, it, I kind of was on board. But to start with, I remember making some notes just going, bit heavy-handed...
2: <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I identify with that because there's someone whose background includes some trying times and, and around the age, you know, that this was going on in various ways. I did think of it in those kind of terms. Like, I didn't give it a name, but whenever there was stuff going on, I just sort of identified it as a thing in my head. And so, giving it this sort of capitalized alliterative name for a 12-year-old made a lot of sense to me. So it kind of rang true to me, but I, I see where you're coming from though. It, it is pretty blatant, but I, I don't know. I guess I don't mind that because I just liked how matter of fact and front of his mind it was and how aware of it he is. Like yeah. he's not like, why is this happening to me? He's like, well, this is a thing that's happening. And he's not like distraught about it. He's just like, my mom and dad is not getting along. It's all so bad. And they're kind of, and they're very like sort of incidental characters in his life as yeah. well. Like mm. it seems whatever is going on that's causing problems between them is also taking all of their time. Do, are they even in the book?
1: There's the dad who's trying to do fatherly think like the once a month um, fatherly duties thing, where he comes in and he asks about his great teachers from like five years ago. And, and he sort of, and Johnny approaches it with the, you've you got to be polite, but not encourage it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, and just get through it. So, like, it's. But was
2: that a memory? Or like no, that, that happens that in the scene in the book. Yeah. And his mum does come and tuck him in one night. And oh, he turns okay. off his computer, like, but they are very precious. That's right. I do remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're the very background characters. Like his friends' parents are more well realized, I would argue, yes. than, yeah. than his own.
2: Well, he's. I mean, he, I mean, it as Yolis's mum. and We'll meet Yolis in a bit, but he says later in the book, like he's obviously being a bit neglected at home. Yeah. Like whatever's whatever's going on with his mum and dad, it's. It, yeah, they're not. They're not doing a great parenting job. They're yeah. just. They're too stressed and tired, and I get the impression they're. They're sort of that sort of very lower middle class like. Yeah, we're making ends meet, but we're working like seventy hours a week to yes. do it with two jobs and it's yeah, so it's it's a bit tough. And they yeah. don't really know what they're doing either.
0: I it's- do recall actually, yeah, now now I'm thinking about it, there was when he was ill later on, his mum was there. But then there was also his dad he talked about his dad and buying the groceries. Yeah. And yeah. how his dad would get the strange food, fancy food that was like, you know, didn't really work that well. But it made me kind of think it sounded like they might not be able to afford it, or mm. yeah. it was just a kind of an interesting.
1: His. He's making bad choices about yeah. the groceries and, and it doesn't quite fit, which is kind of emblematic of like how they fit into his life, which is like it's just everything's a bit off.
2: Yeah, I did kind of like how he, while Johnny sort of is like, Yeah, this is a matter of fact, he also doesn't go into too much detail in the pros about what exactly the problems are, and I kind of liked that because I felt it made it broad enough that. A lot of kids reading this would be able to identify with it. Yeah. Because you kind of have to go either way. Like you either have to be usually pretty, a bit vague and, and nebulous like this, so that it's quite universal, or you want to get really specific so that people can sort of analogize it and go, well, that's not me, but I can kind of see how that relates to me. Hmm. So I, and, and it's not the point of the book either. It's not, it's a kind of a background radiation, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. But I like that. And then he's also being distracted by the fact that the Iraq war is on the news. Yeah, and this was a big deal. Like, I I remember this. Like, I remember that seeing, like, that famous footage of the first time they had a camera mounted on a missile that supposedly hit something, and they kept showing it on the news. Mm. And I don't think I I didn't pay as much attention as Johnny does to it. I think maybe because I had other things to do and I was a big reader as, at, yeah, at that age. Yeah, me too. So I, but I definitely remember seeing it, and we were talking about it a lot. And we didn't really know what to make of it. And much like the characters in the book, we're like, "Well, this is awful," but also, it's like cool guns and you know jet planes and stuff and explosions and then once you learn a bit more about it you start to go a bit oh but it's gross because it's real and there's people getting blown up
0: yeah. so it was which is kind of the whole yeah the whole thing this yeah. book like that's yeah i was probably playing too many video games that time to, to
1: be taking too much notice <laughs> to be fair
2: yeah. yeah i spent <laughs> a lot of hours finishing monkey island 2 and writing up my solution and sending it into a magazine <laughs>
1: I wonder if that's always been kind of a thing, though, the disconnects like between weapons. As soon as we got bombs and things, mm. if you're flying in a plane and you're dropping it over something, you still have that disconnect from the immediate aftermath. So that's kind of like a precursor for for the events in this book, which are sort of a precursor for drone warfare, where mm-hmm. it is even more like a game because yeah. you're even further away.
2: And even like firearms have sort of been sort of talked about like that too because it's different to like a bow where – you're putting your own energy into it. And I don't know how true that is, but I think certainly there is a a greater distance from that violence than there is from something more direct.
0: And a lot of those things have
2: lenses in front of them too. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, true. Um, But he's, you know, he's seeing that on the the news and it freaks him out a little bit. He doesn't really know what to think about it. Meanwhile, on the spaceship, and I always like when they come back to the spaceship Mm. in this book and it's not when they're interacting with Johnny and there's just... Aliens doing alien stuff because it was cool. Um, The gunnery officers like, outraged that they have – the captain has chosen to surrender. But she's like, well, what else are we going to do? Like, we keep getting killed and they keep dying but they keep coming back. Like, this is it. This is our chance. He said, yes, he's going to give us safe conduct. It's going to be fine. And when Johnny goes back into the game, this time he does it when he falls asleep. Mm. And it's it's like a dream but even more real than – like, it's not just like he's playing the game with his computer. It's as if he's really in a spaceship in space – and some other players show up and he realises, well, I guess I've got to save the fleet. And he fights them and, and blows them up. And he doesn't seem to be able to talk to them, although he, he tries. And after that sort of weird experience is when he tries to tell one of his other friends, Yolas, about what's going on. Who thinks that, look, you're just stressed out because your parents are having a bad time. And the trying times are getting to you. He's a real
1: mini psychiatrist because he wants to be a doctor when he grows up. Mm. So that's kind of, it's it's cool because like, kids are like that
2: yeah 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 um, and it's after that that he goes back into the game, and after his dad comes to talk to him and <laughs> has a go, uh and mentions space invaders because his dad's a bit out of touch um' uh, it's a
1: very contemporary game of the time, I think you'll find <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's it, yes, okay, listen uh, but this is when he goes back into the game, and the aliens are all gone. they've vanished. He's like, Where are they? Where are they gone? And then he discovers after that when he talks to Wobbler. That they're not just gone in his copy of the game, they're gone in all copies of the game. And this is where things start to get super weird. Because up until this point, it could have just been a weird dream and a strange glitch in the computing program or an unusual decision by the game makers. But now there's this coordinated thing happening in games everywhere. And this is very different experience of games because nowadays you would just be like, oh, I guess they're all connected to the internet. It's a special event. It happens for everyone. Back then it was like, no, like your copy of the game is your copy of the game. It's your copy of that CD. If something happens to yours, it should not happen to mine. And so this is super Mm. spooky and weird. And I kind of love that oddness of it. Yeah. Mm. And he realizes when he goes back in the game, even when he's not there, his ship is flying off and leading this fleet somewhere. And he's been named as the chosen one like (laughs) of prophecy who's gonna lead them to safety. And um and they haven't seen any human ships for a while because they've flown out of what later gets referred to as Game Space, which (laughs) I kinda I kinda loved. Um and uh yeah, he's he has this really real experience of being in the spaceship, flying around. Which I think I think when I read it, I was like, "Yeah, I want that would be a cool experience." But then you would die; and it would be yeah. awful.
1: And they have that really good moment, or well, good moment, horrifying moment, where he gets killed in the thing, and he expects that as soon as like the firings have happened to the thing, he's going to wake up in his bed, and then he doesn't. He has to sort of live a bit longer to experience the dread of what it might. But then he wakes up in his bed. And oh it's, yeah, that's yeah, gross. yeah. So it that adds stakes earlier on because otherwise I was kind of like, well, he'll be fine. He's got lots of lives, but if he has to yeah. experience a bit of terror and suffering, then it's got stakes.
2: I thought that was really clever because, like you say, it to give it stakes and also the fact that every time he dies in the game, particularly when it's the dream state and wakes up, he starts to feel worse and worse, yeah, like it's seriously thinking. having a drain on him and I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, it's that kind of mix between is it the game or is it his – you know, is it him getting sick? Mm. Is it because of the family situation, like because he's being run down as well? Like it's that, you know, it, it's interesting to kind of think what what is it that's actually causing it
2: as well.
1: It's that blurring between fiction mm, and exactly. real life. So. Which is,
2: yeah, a constant theme in the book where he's like talking about how do we know what's real and what's a game or what's real and what's not.
1: And what's the lens of experience? Because like it's interesting in the game, everything is real to the aliens, but not to him. So the lens of experience sort of is a thing throughout the books as well. Yeah. The yeah. books, the book, the one book.
2: The one book, yeah. If it, but it does feel like kind of epic though, which I think is nice because it's this sort of, you know, giant fleet flying through space. It just lends itself to thinking of it as a big thing, you know. I don't think it's an accident that they've – made television versions of the Johnny. I think both of the other Johnny stories have had a TV version. Oh, right. Um, And this one has not, although it has been turned into a stage musical.
1: That seems unlikely. It
2: does, but it's true. Um, But how? (laughs) I know. uh, Well, I think the video game parts maybe were done with computer graphics. I actually haven't been able to find any photos of it. So, listeners, if you know where we can find some photos of this, you can find the soundtrack. On um, like the Spotify and stuff like that, it's definitely an iTunes Store. I'm not sure if it's in Spotify, but it's out there. And um, look, I've only listened to a couple of the songs, and they're they're all right. I think I'd need to give it another go. And and now that I've read the book again, Listen to it again,
1: is the soundtrack real duty? No, I don't think so. Lots of dutes and some beeps. It was that's what I'd like.
2: I don't think soundtrack. I don't think it was a big professional production. I'm not really sure. I'd have to check it out. But we'll put some details in the show notes.
0: Doing sound effects with his mouth.
1: <laughs> Which you'd expect <laughs> lots of doots from. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there were some flips in there.
1: And pew pew pews. <laughs> yeah.
2: Pew <laughs> pew. <laughs> that's the Sky so
0: Fighter. It's like <laughs> 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 it's, it's like slightly dark, slightly laser. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, but this is also the bit of the book, by the way, where they fly past the remains of the space invader yes, fleet. That was great. Oh, so sad. But it's such a thing now when they do these games, all well, these stories where you get sucked into a video game, there's always like the remainders of the mm. old school guys. Like it's saying like, in the terrible film Pixels. Oh, it's sad. I did a, not see that. I haven't seen that either. It's so bad. Um, <laughs> it's all about old school video games coming to life because there's these aliens who see these, they somehow get Transmissions, which doesn't make any sense because they're not transmitted, but of these old video games. And that's the form they take when they come to earth. And so they have to employ these no hopo video game experts to destroy them and save the world. That sounds good. It's a good concept. It's not a good film. Like it's got some gross stuff in it. Like literally one of the players at the end of the game is given a trophy for saving the world, which turns into a beautiful woman video Mm. game character who becomes his girlfriend. Like it's not. Okay. Oh, it's
1: a trophy wife. Oh. Yeah, qu- oh, it,
2: quite. Literally, it's not. Yeah, it's got some issues that film, um, but it's it's yeah, it's a thing now. But he's you know he sees the space invaders. They talk sort of sadly about the old ones who you know they fought. They all died. This is all that's left of them. And then he fights another player ship. He tries to explore the inside of his cabin. I really liked the bit where he's eating lunch or or dinner Mm, and there's like a massive bag with all a list of um additives on it i thought that was a nice touch
1: (laughs) i got really hung up on him going to the bathroom because i'm like he's going to the bathroom in his mind or is he going in real life did he actually did he he said there's smells and so like that implies yeah. that he used it. Well I think I think he's he's dreaming of it, right?
2: Because like, you sort of established You can't dream later about going book. to the
1: bathroom because you'll actually go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, this is right, I'm, which I'm,
2: is why I think he's dreaming of what it would be like in a spaceship and part of his brain is going, How do you go to the bathroom in space? And so it's answering that question for him, but he doesn't actually do it at any point, I don't think. Did he not just do it in a seat?
1: I thought he went to like the bathroom. They talked about like space bathrooms having a smell. And oh, that, that the door wasn't enough of a barrier for oh, it.
0: I do you remember that, yeah.
1: And I got yeah, so like I I got hung up on that for far longer than I should have because I was <laughs> like, did he go to the bathroom? Yeah,
3: because
0: because later on you kind of find out that like in the dream they can only see what they have seen in the game, mm. so. I'm assuming that he can't see a toilet in the game.
2: Yeah, although he does end up seeing more of the cockpit than he can see in the game because the game doesn't have, yeah. like, food dispensers and stuff.
0: Yeah, that was what was confusing to me a yeah. little bit later on when they were saying
2: that that was the... Well,
1: think, Maybe there's pictures of, like, art in the,
2: in the book? The yeah. Mm, yeah, that, that would like, make or sense. Or on, like,
0: the cover, yeah, or on the box and stuff. And it
2: would have an illustration of the inside of the spaceship yeah. but not of the inside of the enemy spaceship probably. Yeah, yeah. that makes yeah. sense.
1: So, yeah. I think that could work with that because he slowly developed the ability to influence. Yeah. But not at that stage. But so we're agreeing that he didn't use the bathroom. This is very important.
2: I don't think so. I think, I yeah, think he just I think thought it about just maybe how it, how it would maybe was a bathroom okay. that existed in the spaceship. Well, the you say that, I seem to remember maybe there's a bit where he leaves the cockpit. Anyway, yeah, like- I thought
1: he went to the bathroom. I'm just like, how does that work while he's asleep in real life? Um,
2: well, look. <laughs> it never ends well. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: just you, you cannot. <laughs> Um, Just to harp on about that for unnecessarily long, <laughs> but it's an important point.
2: Well, look, he he's eating his lunch when another spaceship turns up. He's like, you can't shoot me while I'm eating your lunch. <laughs> but it does. Um, but it doesn't like blow him up instantly. It sort of damages his ship. He manages to destroy it, but then he slowly asphyxiates because his air is all leaking. And it's horrible and horrifying. Um, and he wakes up at a uh, in bed, realizing that it's a dream, but it felt very, very real. Um, But he's not in bed, actually. No, he's sitting at his computer. That's the other creepy thing that Mm. happens is he goes to bed, but then when he wakes up, he's sitting at the computer desk, and it's like,
1: oh. Exactly. So if he went to the bathroom at some point, he went in his room.
2: Or he went out (laughs) to the actual toilet physically. Did
1: he, though? Well,
2: if he can sleepwalk to the seat, the computer. I choose to believe that, Liz.
1: Fine. They don't have, like, a detailed scene of him cleaning up, so. Yeah. Um, But I think that's an important point about him having that death experience because... Throughout the book, you sl- you see him slowly get more empathy for the creatures. Like he gets it because he's been involved earlier. Like Krusty develops mm. it later. You see how they need to experience it from the other side, which I think is a real human problem. Like it's it's a real thing where it's like, oh, if I can't see it happening to me, or if I can't see it happening to someone I love, then I can't see it. Mm. And I found myself having this issue as well because whenever I tried to imagine the Screewee or the Captain, I would initially see what terry pratchett described and then my brain would force it into progressively more humanoid shapes because i found that easier to relate to and imagine Mm. because i couldn't relate to it otherwise which i was like oh is that kind of like what the books
2: well they also have that very like they're written in a very human way Mm. which is a very pratchett thing to do anytime he writes like non-human characters he makes them feel very human yeah the languages and yeah the
0: gestures and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, but it, always
2: with some nice touches. But like the empathy
1: thing is interesting as well because like when Big Mac, one of his friends, is introduced, I was like, this is a terrible dude. Like he's just He can't mm. wait for war. He's always talking about how he can't wait to join the army and stuff. he hopes that the war is still going by the time he's 18. And I was like, well, this is just going to be one of those characters who's terrible. Speaking of Big Mac, um, a major problem that I ran into throughout this whole book was that every time he had a scene, I got aggressively hungry. And his arc is really interesting yeah. mm. as you slowly see things from a different perspective because it's not until you see his life and you experience it through your own eyes essentially yeah. that you can't empathise with him or see where he's coming from. Yeah. Like he's a yeah. two-dimensional villain-esque type character until certain things happen and you're like, oh, okay. I guess that's one of the major themes of the book.
0: It's that that idea of the other mm. Well, and the alien, exactly the alien. Um, earlier in the book I was kind of thinking – is it about migrants? Uh, is it about, you know, but then it, it, it doesn't really matter. But it's it's kind of about the other, whether that's the other side in more, you, you know, the aliens in space. Yeah. That's, you know, that was one of the main themes going through the book.
1: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so there is no other is kind of the idea. Like everyone exactly. is someone else's opposite, like the opposite. But like, yeah, there's no mm-hmm. sides.
0: It makes it easier to... Just, to be able to shoot them down and to not think about it when you just see them as other or alien. And that's, mm. you know, mm. it's kind of overcoming that. That's kind of the, how the story progresses. 100%. Yeah.
2: And the, the experience of the story is very one-sided. So in the video game, obviously, you never actually die. You're just sitting in front of a screen, but the aliens die. But also in the televised version of the Iraq war, there's only footage of allied missiles hitting mm. Iraqi targets. There's no reverse of that. Hmm. Like there was no, there's no videos of, you know, on the front of a Scud missile hitting us. So it was, yeah, it was, I think that's a deliberate thing too. But he's been flying around, he dies, he asphyxiates, it's awful. And he decides he's going to tell his friends about this, particularly when he discovers at the video game shop, all the copies of Only You Can Save Mankind seem to have lost their aliens because there's a girl complaining about it there who tries to take it back. The guy at the store is like, fine, okay, (laughs) It Boots it up, it is missing its aliens, so he gets a new one out of the packet, boots that up. It's missing its aliens, and everybody looks at Johnny or his friends like a bit weirdly. They're like, what is going on? And he confides in them, like, what's going on? But they all just think he's, like, having some sort of breakdown. They don't take it very seriously at all. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uh, But when he's back in the game, he now starts to worry in his sort of mirroring of, like, empathizing, what happens to the other players when I shoot them down? when they come for the fleet and he tries to talk to them, but they can't hear him. And um, while he's trying to talk to him, he doesn't shoot it. And this is where the trouble really starts in the fleet itself because the gunnery officer takes it into his own hands mm. and shoots the other player down in contravention of the captain's orders. Um, and that's a, a dodgy part of the, the thing, but it also leads to this great conversation between Johnny and the the screwy captain about how humans deal with war and how they have rules and all this weird stuff um, that continues on through the next few chapters.
1: And which leads to him reading about the Geneva Convention and the encyclopedias his dad bought from that travelling salesman.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 which I, I love that because like, we had a set of encyclopedias when I was a kid. This mm. is pre-Wikipedia days. It was even pre-things like Encarta, and those sort of digital encyclopedias which were way cooler but not necessarily a higher quality of content and uh, certainly yeah, it was much harder to update them um because the internet wasn't great for downloading large amounts of data back in those days um but yeah that was that was quite a nostalgia trip as well There's a lot of things in this book that I'm like that was my childhood and and I I think before I talked about it on this podcast I never realized how exactly it matches up in terms of when it's happening and how old Johnny is You can read more about this in the show notes, but I'm making a pretty consistent mistake here. You see, the book was published in 1992 when I was 13, but the book has to be set in 1990 when I was 11, because that's when the first Gulf War started. So Johnny's actually a year older than me. Still, it's very close, and the parallels between his experiences with video games and schoolwork and mine are still pretty close.
1: Doing homework from physical encyclopedias it's just it's almost unimaginable now but i can remember doing it yeah Yeah.
0: projects in primary school and things like that the bit where he
1: just copies out 400 words from one of the things
0: but i also feel like that he uses those encyclopedias as a coping mechanism in this book as well because there's those if i remember correctly it's he kind of just reads through stuff to kind of almost fall asleep or forget there was one one scene where
2: he was just kind of reading through just seeing how much he could just get through oh yeah Mm. yeah started reading about switzerland yeah. yeah to get away from the
1: troubling times, yeah. yeah yeah
2: I can kind of identify with that. I think books were a big escape for me mm. um when I was younger from various things, and not not all of them at home, you know, things at school as well. Um,
1: I guess if it was set now, he'd probably be reading Wikipedia and updating it, perhaps I don't know like what is that his personality type? Mm. Uh... It's hard to
0: say actually, because I think that's what's interesting about him. I feel like we see some aspects of his personality, but not all, yeah. and he also changes quite a bit throughout. Um, he does go on a bit of a journey. Because he kind of, I don't know, it, it's almost like at home, he he's obviously a writer. Mm. That comes through in the book. That's actually something that's, that's quite interesting. Like he always finds it super easy to write. You know, there's the that peasant. scene where he's like, oh, I'm just going to write a poem because that's, you know, that's really simple mm. and that always works for English. But he doesn't like numbers. Yeah. So I always felt like he had... That ability, the creative ability was there um, and that intelligence with words and things like that, which I don't know if that was trying to show his empathy. Like, I I'm not really sure what that was trying to show, but, you know, not traditionally smart for high like school in terms of being smart with numbers and things like that, mm. but being able to write seemed to come super easy to him.
1: Yeah. I hadn't put that together maybe because I'm arrogant. I also used to be like, oh yeah, well, I'll just write a poem for English. That'll be easy. Mm. So it's like, that's what people are like. That's what they do. But yeah, okay. that <laughs> is good. I don't think that's true, Liz. Come on. Well, that's easy to write a poem for English. No, that's
2: your arrogant. Don't be so mean to yourself. <laughs> no,
1: I didn't notice that that was like a thing, but that is actually a really good point. Yeah. But
2: I think also there's that's a bit of Pratchett's character in mm. Johnny and possibly Rihanna's too. Because I think my feeling is, and I, I don't really have anything except a gut about this, but my feeling is that Johnny is more is closer to Rihanna's personality. Than you know the one female <laughs> character that you get in the book. Well, one of the two. There's two. There's two major ones. But yeah, so I I I don't know. Maybe that's true of her as well. I don't know if she likes numbers or, but she's certainly a writer and like video games. So I, I think was a bit of a nerd in her youth. But this is not something I know a lot about. So mm. I'm purely just speculating, crazy. But yes, he uh, he falls asleep reading about Switzerland and trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with prisoners of war. And meanwhile, the captain and the gunnery officer have a bit of a tense face-off, and she decides not to shoot him, <laughs> although that probably would be a good plan. And when Johnny mm. wakes up, uh he's starting to feel real sick. He's mm. not well. Um mm. And he has this really sort of very vivid dream where he's not in the spaceship. He's watching news coverage, which is merging, like, the BBC news coverage of the Gulf War with mm. what's going on in the Screewee fleet, and they're... They're talking about him and how he's not doing a good enough job. And then the captain is in his room and they have this discussion where she's like, you have rules about war. This is so – what a weird human idea that is. But she's also, you know, sort of absorbed the information that he's learned and is like requesting that they feed them because they're effectively prisoners of war. Um,
1: and I didn't I- – and I thoroughly enjoyed their very literal descriptions of the food <laughs> yeah, they wanted. it was so good. <laughs> so yeah. I know they tell us what it is on the next page, but I was sitting there reading, trying to figure it out, being like, okay, what's that? It's, okay, that's burgers. That's like yeah, that's like milk. a little puzzle. Yeah.
3: There are
2: a couple that I did not get until they were explained, <laughs> no, yeah, and I was me. very pleased by that. that it was, was delightful.
1: Great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It's all the teenage boy foods that he would have been eating at the time. It was just great. Well,
0: maybe not eating.
1: Oh yeah, because he was basically like not eating. Not Yeah. Yeah. Except for that SpaghettiOs he eats at one point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, he just doesn't eat very well in this book. I felt so bad for him.
1: Yeah, they didn't even have groceries available to, for him to, if he wanted to make something. I definitive.
2: know. Oh, it's heartbreaking. But look, he um he he gets back into the game after that, um, but he does it during the day when he figures maybe there'll be fewer people playing. He's homesick. Um, and the uh, he dreams into existence, and he and his friends are pretty sure that they're not really there. It's just a dream. But he dreams Wobbler, Big Mac, and Yolis into mm. existence, flying these supply tankers <laughs> that he sort of escorts to the fleet full of, you know, snappy flakes and, <laughs> you know, cornflake equivalent and milk and I forget what the other thing is, hamburgers. Hamburgers so right? yeah. and fries. One, and one thing of chicken lumps. <laughs> oh, yeah, the chicken lumps. Chicken lumps. <laughs> oh, it just sounds gross. I um, mean,
1: is lumps any worse than nuggets really when we think about it? I not
2: really. guess nuggets. I guess not. And lumps. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it does. It's not. It's, it's not, not ideal. are no, pleasant. Yeah. But and any- there's that
1: great thing because they don't all have. Like, he's the only one with guns. So his friends who aren't really there are unprotected. And there's this great line about if Wobbler's milk places hit with a missile turn into cheese very quickly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was fun. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But then after they leave and evaporate out of his dream, um, he sees another player coming in, but this one seems to really know what it's doing. The ship flies with an unusual amount of skill. He tries talking to them, and this time they do hear him, and they even respond, but they're not very friendly, Mm -hmm. and they manage to accidentally sort of crash into each other and explode. And he realizes when he thinks about it after he wakes up that he knows that voice. It's the girl from the video game store who Mm -hmm. was returning her copy of the game. So he, um, he tries to find out who she is first by calling Wobbler, who doesn't, he sort of has a vague idea, but doesn't really know. And in order to find out her actual identity, he thinks he's like somebody's sister and the person whose, whose sister she is, is a friend of Big Mac's. So you're going to have to talk to him and he can't phone him. And this was, this is such a eighties, nineties thing. Like first of all, he has to call everyone on the landline. Secondly, one of his mates just doesn't have a phone because of his personal circumstances. They don't have one at home, so he can't call him he's going to go round and see him. Which is just like that would like these days this parts of the book would go real quick because it'd just be text messages. And there'd be some other reason for them to catch up. But he tracks down Big Mac. And Big Mac's with two of his dodgy mates. Outside they, a pub? They live on the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah, that's right, outside a pub. Yeah.
1: Fiddling with a car.
2: And because he's talking to him, Big Mac decides not to go with his two friends who've clearly mm. stolen the car and gone for a joyride mm. and have an accident and die. It's suddenly very mm. grim. It, was, yeah. it felt like quite a tonal shift. It did get pretty grim. Yep. I, I guess I kind of I vaguely remember that this was coming. I didn't remember that you know his friends died in a car accident, but I knew there was some... Some grim stuff in this book. And I think it's the sort of thing where Pratchett's like, I'm not going to shy away from this. Like, kids are, every kid's going to know someone who knows someone who died in a car accident, like that was, or died somehow suddenly and unexpectedly. It's a thing that happens, particularly once you get into high school and you're regularly interacting with a much larger number of people. Mm. I think that's when most people experience that sort of thing, apart from, you know, the deaths of elderly relatives or pets. And so I think, I think I can kind of see where that's coming from. And also, it's really meant to, well, I felt it was really meant to highlight, you know, Big Mac's from, he's not he's not having a good time. Like, we think Johnny's mm. not having a good time. Big Mac's really not having a good time. And yeah. just,
1: again, the shifting of perspective and empathy, because mm. there's also that really interesting sequence of how Big Mac is a different person.
2: Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Afterwards.
1: And I was kind of like, is he going to, like, beat him up or something? Because, like, is he going to, like, Is he, are his friends... From home more important to him and is he gonna have to do it? but then it went in a different dark direction that was really visceral and horrible.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting to see that interplay with the when he met him in front of the car with his friends and he was, just, you know, big tough, big Mac. And then as soon as his friends left, he kinda let down that um persona and you could see him going, what are you doing here? You <laughs> know, like yeah. you shouldn't be here. This, this is, is not, not a, safe for yeah, you. This is not a good place. And you can see that he's he's you know he's it's his friend and he cares about him. Uh And then obviously, yeah, the accident happens and you see obviously completely. I mean, I guess that would happen to to anyone who almost could have been in that car.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's full on. It's it's a like it's. I think out of all, it's it's a clever scenario in that. You know, he's not physically injured, Mm. but it's very visceral reminder that living that kind of life, doing those kind of dangerous things, you know, having that risk taking behavior, you can get you killed. And it's like, I mean, and it's not presented as like a cautionary, you shouldn't Mm. knit cars kind of way. It's more kind of like these things happen and Mm. they could happen to you and it's kind of awful. And when it does happen to somebody, you know, that's also awful. Yeah. No, and I, I, I like the way Johnny sort of just figures out what to do, yeah, yeah. on his own. He's like, I can't put you in an ambulance because he sort of recognizes, and I, he, he, and it's part of that transition he has where he's sort of understanding death, and that's sort of like a, a real sort of recurring theme in the book where, you know, it's very distant when it's the war on the TV, but then there's various different ways in which they make it more visceral and more cl- and close to home, and this is kind of the most literal version of that. Um, you still kind of see it again towards the end where he has to like kill one the, the gunnery officer and yeah. and it's much more visceral than any of the space combat stuff. But this is like real people really dying and it's, it's full on.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it is like that extra added context because there's people dying in the game, there's people dying in the war, and now there's people dying in his real life and it's trying to show us the different distances we have and how perhaps the reaction should be the same no matter how far away we are from it.
0: Yeah, it's yes. that empathy. Yeah. And it's something that he's starting to show a lot more. That that whole figuring things out is just another way of, you know, he's empathizing with. He can tell that Big Mac's obviously going through shock or, you know, um, something similar. And,
3: and that it's serious. Yeah. Yeah. And mm.
0: something just getting him to, getting him some help um, is, you know, his main concern.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So, should we rock it through the next little bit until we get, like, so basically. Long story short, he gets in contact with the girl who turns out to be called Krusty. Mm-hmm. They arrange to meet at her house, and there's that great bit where she's like, "Well, it's safe for me," and he just quietly thinks, well, what about me? It's not it's safe, safe for me." For me, yeah. um, she's a massive high achiever. Her room is full of trophies, and her, her mom, family's super posh
2: as well. Yeah. Like they're clearly upper class folks. Yeah.
1: And I'm sorry to get so English essay about this, but they live on a Crescent and he notes that it is very straight. Like it's actually not that curved, which is again, the thing about perspectives and lies versus reality. And it's just, yeah, I thought that was an, maybe I'm overreaching with the whole, like it's like a Shawshank Redemption. Why is the car red? Because it's Red's Freedom. No, it's actually the only car that was available. But um, <laughs> but I was like, yep. oh, the Crescent is actually quite straight. That's like, that's a comment. But um, mm. so he goes into a posh house. Her mom's all kind of like, oh, like you've got a friend finally, you, you loan. Um, and comes in with all the teas and stuff. Um, but, yeah, basically she believes him because she was there. They get down to business to try and sort things out. The thing that convinces her to help is that the captain is a woman and she's like, well, men always try to bring down women so he carefully doesn't mention that it's actually a matriarchy. Because um, mm, the point yeah. still stands, Ir- irrelevant of it. Well, so. yeah. 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 But that's not why he doesn't mention it. But it's kind of irrelevant that they live in a matriarchy because it is kind of this crappy dude trying to bring down someone he doesn't like for whatever reason yeah, and
2: they're still conforming in some ways to human gender roles even yeah. though they come from a society that should be kind of reversed but that's interesting but
1: yeah because yeah. they have that comment about because they're reptiles she's like well the women are traditionally warriors cause we have to protect our breeding ponds mm. which is a similar thing to naomi alderman's the power um which is a science fiction book about The core question is, what if women were the the strong one? Like if gender roles were flipped, essentially, it's done very well. Mm. But yeah, so that was just my long, short summary of getting to that point where they decide to try and dream their way into the alien ships. Yeah, and
2: the reason it's so crucial is that there has been a mutiny. Like the gunnery Mm. officer has persuaded the other crew members to lock up the captain in her cabin uh, and take over the fleet and they're just going to turn around and go back towards game space cuz that's their destiny that's where they're meant to be
1: which he knows because he tried to go in and help them and they all gave him like 10 seconds to get out before we start
2: shooting you mm. yeah yeah and it's this is like i i love this cuz it's like now the stakes are super high mm. and you're like uh oh and cuz also Johnny is still really not very well like the whole time he's talking to Wobbler he's he's not looking so great when he goes to meet Kirsty and just before they go back into the game he's really looking not well at all and just as he's sort of saying, "Yeah, well, we could get into the their spaceship by dreaming our way in there," he basically just blacks out mm, yeah. he doesn't even fall asleep, he just falls unconscious immediately and wakes up in the captain's cabin
0: and this is after the this this is after the conversation about them trying to figure out how to get into the spaceship mm. yeah. into the captain's spaceship, yeah uh because that that's what we were talking about earlier with them trying to figure out. How can we, uh, how can we get into that space if we haven't seen it? So they need to figure out a way to imagine what that space might look like. Mm. Which I guess they don't really come to a common agreement. No, with. which which but, you
2: see because once she goes in there as well, when she's fallen asleep, <laughs> it starts to transform from his sort of like slightly old fashioned retro futuristic alien spacecraft into alien hive kind of like yes. horrible xenomorph literal aliens. Because what's yeah. her gamer name? <laughs> Sigourney, uh, Sigourney, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that that's great. Yeah, I thought that was cool. That was cool. Although, why not Ripley or Ellen? Because
1: then he can yeah. have that delightful line about um, she has to remember that she is oh, aspiring right. to be someone who's only acting.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, like,
1: there's a level of remove yeah. from that, yep. which
2: is true, even if you're thinking about the character, I guess, because the character isn't, isn't a real person, just portrayed by one.
1: Or is it a real person? Because if like if video games are real, do films
2: also play out in real time as well? Well, see, so this brings up an interesting question because I think one of the things that the book never really addresses is like it doesn't give you a definitive answer as to yeah. what's going on because there's there's dreams, there's the idea that the space inside video games is real in some way and there's this sort of weird illness that he's having that's clearly sort of stress-related but there's, a, there's some level of reality to it because he can share it with someone else and it happens in all of the copies of the game. So there's this weird way in which it's never really quite explained what's going on. But it doesn't kind of matter because you do buy into it because mm. we we like the captain and the stakes are so real for mm. Johnny that we I think we buy into it on that level too. So I, I think it doesn't really matter, but it is an interesting question that it's never answered. And I kinda I kinda love that about this book. I don't know how that would sit with a middle-grade audience. But again, I think to go back to Amy's comments about that, I think they probably wouldn't care about it. They wouldn't think about it. Yeah. They'd just think, well, of course the video game's real and you get into it through your dreams or through the thing. Like, that doesn't matter. Let's get on with the story.
1: If I was writing it as an adult book, I would either only have him be... Like, he's the only one who ever goes in um, and not have Sigourney at all uh-huh. or he's the only one who ever interacts with Sigourney and we later find out that she's also a figment. Oh, so that there's yeah. the ambiguity of whether it's actually mm-hmm. happening or if or if he's like special in some way, but having the two of them, I think muddies that a bit. Mm. Yeah. Because if it's two, why not more? But maybe there are in other parts of the game and they just haven't drifted across each other's mm. like paths yet. So, well, I quite yeah. like
2: this. I I also think the interesting thing is that obviously there's a shared game space mm. because you've got the Space Invader Hulks floating around near the screwy fleet or between them and, and home. Um but they never really address what happens to any other video game aliens. Like, are they still all getting blown up? What's, why is it just these ones that are able to like, there's all these questions that could, I mean, they, you, you could give them interesting answers, but I think for the purposes of the plot that don't really matter. And I'm quite happy to let that go. Cause now I can have all the fun of making up my own <laughs> answers. You know? Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, I was, yeah, especially towards the end part where they're both in the spaceship together and the setting changes based on their ideas and the, I guess, their personalities and, you know, what they imagine. I was trying to do a Liz thing where I was wanting to be like, well, so is all of this just their dream? Like, is it real? And I did want to figure that out, but I guess by the end I was like, oh, well, it doesn't matter.
3: Yeah. (laughs) It's still enjoyable.
1: Because it is still enjoyable, but I do also enjoy trying to dig out the truth of it, which that's just... My nitpicky editor nature.
3: Yeah.
2: I do like that there's stuff in there that it's hard to know if it's coming from Johnny's mind or if it points more towards the reality of the screwy as a a thing because they surprise him with stuff that they do. Like there's that great bit where they're stuck in the captain's cabin and they've got to try and – open the bolts in the um, oh, yeah. you know, the duct, but the bolts are on the inside of the cover and she gets her mouth burned <laughs> to oh, yeah. come in there and, and unscrew them. And I just thought that was great. Like they, they were mentioned earlier in the book, but yeah. that nice that scene where she's got this great little symbiotic relationship with them and they're very yeah. smart, I just thought that's cool. Mm. I really like that.
1: And the tea lady.
2: Oh, the tea lady. Oh, the tea <laughs> yeah. lady. That was great. Yeah, that was great. It's that was awesome. great, and she's so angry about it Chris is really angry. She's not like supposed to be tea ladies. Why would the tea lady?
1: is <laughs> not, be... not how it is in the imagination. It should be slavering monsters.
2: Yeah, that's uh-huh. yeah, that's
0: like the perfect symbol of the difference between their views of this spaceship and how it should be. Yeah, yeah. what alien is? You know,
1: yeah, what enemy is? Like because they is. don't do stuff that we do. They just do horrible things all the time. Yeah, they probably eat terrible foods that are just rare extinct birds but like yeah you
2: know you know that, and i think this is interesting because like i think alien is quite a it's such a specific film and it's you know it is a sort of a british american co-production as i understand it and certainly british director but british science fiction often i think more often in some ways than american science fiction certainly by the time of the 80s and 90s had been exploring those ideas of well, maybe aliens are Kind of like us. It's something that American TV did do as well, but sort of a bit later with things like um, Alien Nation, and um, even a little bit in the original V series, which are from, which is from the 80s. But around this time, you know, like I said before, Doctor Who's been doing this sort of thing. Like even really early on, it's something it did a lot in the 70s and a little bit in the 80s. I mean, at this time when this book was being published. It wasn't on TV, but there was sort of other kinds of things like the Tomorrow People.
1: Oh my god, I love that series so much! I can't believe you've watched it. I've Usually, watched... no one's ever heard of it. I I've to heard of it, to it, it. it, and
2: I probably watched it, but I
0: can't remember.
1: There was a character called Megabyte. It was the best. Oh yes, I did watch yeah. that. Yes, and the thing was that they could teleport. Sorry, it's just I'm very excited. This is when I first got the internet. It was one of the two things I would look up because I get like 15 minutes of internet time. <laughs> so you look up Enid Blyton and the Tomorrow People and do read. You, some do of... you
2: mean the 90s? Was it the 90s one that you were watching? Yeah, because that was like a re- not a remake, but kind of like a re- reimagining of the original series, which was, I think, very 70s and early 80s.
1: See, I feel like I'd know this if I'd gotten more than 15 minutes on the internet yes. and if I hadn't spent <laughs> seven of those minutes
2: on Edith Blyton. I think that's fine, though.
1: But it was so good. I was like, me and one other friend watched it, so whenever I went to her house and she got internet time, we'd both look up the Tomorrow people and maybe print out some pages of facts. And there was a whole thing where, like, it turned out that Tutankhamen was a Tomorrow person and then someone, like, called out their... They're terrible name because they're like, oh, you can also travel through time. They're like, no, no, we can just teleport. So, Tomorrow People is a terrible name for them. <laughs> <laughs> but they're the people of Tomorrow who can teleport. Because they're, like,
2: highly evolved. They're, like, mutants from the X-Men. Yeah, but
1: if Tutankhamen was a Tomorrow People, he's really a yesterday person. Yeah. So, like, it's not really. Well,
2: yeah, but if, you know, what's his name? What's the... Well, like, the... X-Men. Apocalypse like is a is an X-Men, but he's, like, from ancient Egypt as well.
1: Yeah, so... but as in, like, he's an X-Men, and these are basically X-Men as well. They're just, X-Men. like, a subset of the mutant. mutants. Yeah. They're not like, we're all going here. It's just some of us are like this. It's like some of us will have blue eyes and some of us never will. Like, it's just. I guess they couldn't call it teleport people. I mean, it would be accurate. It would be accurate. So I haven't been this excited about anything in a long time. It's a little
2: bit limiting in terms of the (laughs) the scope of the show, maybe. (laughs) Should
1: we get back to the book? I think we should. (laughs) Okay. We should.
2: Uh, Because they, they managed to get their way onto the bridge of the ship partly because um, the captain tells the guards that Johnny is the chosen one and they're all a bit like, ooh. And they don't really talk much about the chosen one thing. Like, it comes up a couple of times, but they never really say where that prophecy comes from or what the deal is. Well, like how they ended up in space. Well, I think that kind of – Makes sense, though, because those are bits that never get filled in in those games, like until the later ones where they're a bit more interested in the story, or something much more complicated, like, say, Star Control 2, where there's this intricate backstory about the history of the universe and how all the aliens relate to each other. Yeah, and
1: where did Professor Oak get his initial Pokemon from? Like,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was researching them himself. Like, You're not the first ever Pokemon trainer in the world in the first Pokemon game. (laughs) I mean, how else would you be battling all these other trainers all the time? That is true.
1: Oh, well, okay. They're just in the wild.
2: They are. Do they have mm. normal animals? I, I tried to find this out mm. in the Pokemon universe, and I think the answer is yes, but not very many of them.
1: Are they vegetarians? Like a, like a
2: dog. No, they do eat Pokemon.
1: Oh, no. I
2: I This is a question that came up with a friend recently, and there's at least one or two references in the anime and in the games that say that what there's certain the kinds of Pokemon, Pokemon? they eat. Well, I guess the ones that are, I mean, look, I'm Jigglypuff a would be like a marshmallow. So I'd only yeah. be eating the plant ones, but even those ones are a bit alive. Yeah, they usually pretty. Right. Bulbasaur is pretty alive. True. Oh, yeah, Bulbasaur is very. Well, Bulbasaur also like a lizard. Like, I don't think all leaf Pokemon are actually plants. I'm just clearly. You'd have
0: to with... stick Charmander in the fridge for a bit first, I think. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or
1: self heat it up. <laughs> I think Metapod would taste the worst. Oh. No, Magikarp would taste the worst. No,
2: Trubbish would taste the worst. Literally a Pokemon made out of garbage. What about the one that oh, is... Yeah. There's all the oil keys. ones, too. I apologise to my housemate because he listens to the podcast and Trubbish is his favourite Pokemon. And Trubbish is super cute. I love Trubbish, but I wouldn't want But it's want good. To it means
0: any. that there'll be lots of them around because no one wants to eat them.
2: It's true. Would Dugtrio
1: taste like potatoes? Mm.
2: Well, it looks like potatoes. <laughs> dirt. I think they just taste like dirt. Yeah. This is quite a diversion. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes,
1: but I still don't... Well, what, what, it's disturbing. Yes, and I don't know what the most delicious one is, but I can take a wild guess at the worst-tasting one. Listeners,
2: far. if you'd like to tell us which one you think is the most delicious Pokemon, you can join our conversation <laughs> on social media using the hashtag Pratchat28. Delicious Pokemon. And hashtag Delicious Pokemon. Expose this truth of the Pokemon world to the greater public. I mean, look, it's, it's a challenging topic, really, for a vegetarian <laughs> because you're like, I really like eating vegetables, but... I don't want to eat Bellsprout. He's my friend. <laughs> but I wouldn't eat him anyway. He's just like a flower. You can Doesn't just eat all the grass
1: around them and then you reveal more Pokemon. That's true. Yeah.
0: But maybe there's also just vegetables. Well, maybe.
2: Well, there are. There are definitely vegetables because there are berries and there are things like pungent roots mm-hmm. and mushrooms. So, there are there are other forms of food. And there's pasta. In the in Pokemon Sword and Shield, one of the big things is you cook different kinds of curry. Oh.
1: Or like... Bulbasaur curry? No, you don't Pikachu put Pokemon curry. in the curry.
2: You de- you you definitely don't put Pokemon in the curry.
1: Do any of the Pokemon? Sorry, the final question about eating Pokemon. <laughs> do any of the Pokemon like make a thing that you could make like milk or cheese? Like is there like? Oh a- well,
2: milk tank is a is like a cow Pokemon and definitely produces milk.
1: Okay, so you, okay, so there's like dairy, but like yeah,
2: okay, yeah. There's probably some sea cows as well,
0: definitely.
1: I can metapod would probably have some sort of secretion there's
2: sheep and goat pokemon in in the galar region in, in pokemon sword mm-hmm. and shield
1: also like would you like harvest their fur to make
2: yeah clothes? you can you can make make things out of their wool
1: i feel like this is like the worst game of pokemon it's just like building a settler society with using pokemon
2: <laughs> it's certainly not a patch on pokemon yena yeah, which was the um mythical australian version <laughs> of pokemon recently invented by an artist it's so good it's so good <laughs> Uh we'll have to we'll have to look that up. And there was a previous Australian Pokemon on um Tumblr somewhere that was also oh, I do really great. That one. that yeah, but the good. new one is also good because it's all concept art, so they're not it's not just sort of in game art, it's all like cool pictures of the different things evolving and they did heaps of Pokemon for oh. it as well. Amazing. Um, and not just the the Pokemon themselves, but the version of Australia that would fit into the Pokemon <laughs> universe. It was yeah, it was quite extraordinary.
1: I have a question about the book. Yes. So the what do you call it like the the gunnery guy the bad the gunnery one. officer gunnery officer he's just been sitting in this room doing a bunch of murder he has yeah. yeah he's
2: killed the rest of the bridge crew so he can take over the ship
1: yeah and they still has like, I feel like they've talked about the ethics and not wanting to kill people enough but I'm like surely that's Honor. enough to be like we, we're going to take this guy out and and rescue the because yeah. they're now flying in the wrong direction as well we didn't mention that oh they're yeah they're all going to towards- die because
2: there's a massive fleet of player ships that are waiting for them. Because
1: he's bravehearting everyone, basically. He's like, for glory! And I, I haven't seen Braveheart in a long time. Is that what they do?
2: Like, they all die and well, go into battle? Look, they... It's sort of, but they don't. They can't really avoid it. Like, they can't just sort of run away. No, <laughs> but they, can't, run out they of were Scotland. running
1: away, and he's turned them around.
0: Are you talking about Braveheart?
2: No, I'm talking about the book. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, they were running away, <laughs> and they've turned around to fly back towards space. You're right. I don't know what's happening in Braveheart. Well, I'm saying Braveheart, they can't really run away because they've run out of Scotland.
0: If only oh. they had spaceships.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or swimming. Imagine if Scotland was a spaceship. Mm. That would be so awesome right now. They just, like, they just take off. They'd be like, fuck you guys, we're out of here. <laughs> Sorry, they'd be like, fuck you guys, we're out of here. And they'd be. It's <laughs> the worst Scottish tax I've ever done. That's getting edited out. Let's get back to your question. What is your question?
1: Like, surely that's an opportune moment to just kill him. Like, I, they do their about it, but they've got honour and stuff. But I'm like, it is strange. shoot him.
2: Although,
3: mm. the
0: captain hasn't been there when he was doing that. Yeah. And so they, I guess the, the rest of them were just following his lead and they probably just didn't want to get killed either.
1: I guess Johnny, they're like, what, like so, does one of them have a gun at this point or not really? Well, uh.
2: when they come back, uh, well, she's got a gun. She's got yeah, a gun. She's got he doesn't a gun. want her to shoot anyone. I don't think he's ever like, don't kill him. He's, he hasn't done something bad enough to be killed. I think by the time it becomes really an issue, he's just like, I don't think I can kill anybody. Like I've had this experience of learning, of, of really thinking about what that means and not thinking of it as a game anymore, and that means that even when it is necessary, I don't think I can do it. And they have that whole conversation because they there's the the whole back and forth thing where they they subdue like the 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 captain fights with the gunnery officer mm-hmm. and gets injured, but he runs off, and that's when they realize that wow we're we're all about to die unless we do something. Uh, and then when they come back later, and he's all bigger and scary because he's taken on the aspects of the sort of xenomorph alien from Kirsty's part of the dream that's when uh, he just knocks the gun out of her hand. She can't quite bring herself to shoot him because she's too scared. Like she's dreamed up too scary a version of the alien and he can't bring himself to shoot him because he's like, I don't want to shoot him. And they have that whole conversation where he's like, you won't shoot me. I've been watching you. Your whole thing is you don't shoot people. And he's like, "Um, yeah. And then he does, but he, he doesn't do it. And then, you know, come out with a witty one liner. He does it. And then he's like, I can't believe I had to do that. Yeah. And I, feel awful about this is horrendous and it's a bit like i don't know if you've read the Illuminae files books i've known by, them, but i haven't read them by amy kaufman and uh, guest on the podcast and, and jay Christoph. but it, there's a lot of teenage protagonists and they're in this sort of interstellar war scenario and there's several characters in those books who have to kill someone for the first time in self-defense and they're always talking about how like that changes them forever. Mm. And and I feel like this is a moment like that for Johnny Maxwell. And I, and I really kind of, yeah, I, I saw that connection there and I, I really appreciated that because even when he's blowing up the other player characters and when he's finding the screwy at the start, you know, even then he's sort of thinking, but they just, they're just characters in a video game. They're just characters in a video game. And then that's when it becomes visceral and real because, you know, he shoots this gunnery officer and he falls down dead. And he's got a big hole in him and he's very clearly a dead body. And it's, it's awful.
0: And for Kirsty as well.
2: Mm. Yeah. She's like, I was just going to do that. And then now I'm like, I don't think I want to do that anymore. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah.
1: It does turn the whole Disney thing on its head because they love to kill the villain at the end. And that's fine. Like normal that the villain is dead.
2: They yeah. also do that Doctor Who thing. Doctor Who does the same thing where it, it, they don't kill the villain, but the villain sort yeah. of is tricked into or because of their own hubris kills themselves, like falls off a cliff or activates the booby trapped weapon with this classic doctor who things where it's like, I'm begging you don't use that gun. (laughs) And then the villain does and they blow themselves up and you're like, well, it's your fault. I told you not to do it. And you only blew yourself up because you were trying to kill me. Um, and my hands are clean. You're like, no, you, you killed him. (laughs) You did it cleverly and you tricked them. But, uh, it's that sort of letting the hero kill the villain, but sort of giving them an out.
1: Yeah. Like in beauty and the beast, um, He's actually trying to rescue Gaston, like he was hanging off a building and he's like, oh yeah, I'll help you up. And then when he turns around, Gaston tries to kill him. And as he's trying to like stab him, he loses his grip and falls off the building. So it tidily handles itself. Like Gaston is dead. The beast didn't kill him and no one has to feel bad. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in this situation, that was never going to happen. And I think that's interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. it's It's a bit different.
1: Gaston's not there, but
2: yeah, yeah. I also really appreciated the way. <laughs> <laughs> I now am imagining him like as a screwy, like going through the corridors, like singing this song. No one know, like he's the best.
1: Yeah, I was just I'm trying to think of a space thing that no one could. No one zaps like Gaston. Yes, oh, no he one- keeps trying to take space trophies as well because he loves that that wall. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. Um,
2: but yeah, the- I I also like the thing that they they go into the the bridge. And the captain and the gunnery officer have their fight and the gunnery officer runs off and then they escape because they realize they're about to go through the border. Which is like the end of game space and they see it. And it's one of a couple of times in the book where one of the characters sees something and goes, Oh yeah, that'd be right. And we don't find out what it is until yeah. later. One of which is when he tries to, Oh, we didn't mention this. That he tries to take a photograph mm. inside the game right. when he's dreaming. And when he looks at it, when he comes out, he's like, oh, What else did I expect? And later on, he shows it to his friends and it's just like some blocky pixels of like a photo of a video screen. Yeah. Um, and, uh, in this one, they see the border and they're like, Oh, and they're like, Well, what happens if we go through? Cause like we're real people and they're like, We don't know. It's probably bad, though. <laughs> mm. So, they're like, oh, no, because people, players can't go there. And so, that, she dreams up that there should be an escape pod, even though the screwy captain's like, what's an escape pod? Like, that doesn't mm. make any sense. And they go down to it, and they've got plenty of time. They've got ten minutes. And then the gunnery officer appears on the screen, and they think he's going to appear in the pod and, like, attack them like the end of Aliens. Spoiler alert. Uh, but, <laughs> no, that's not what happens. Um, he's 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 still on the bridge. He was waiting for them to leave so he could waylay the captain. And so they have to go back there to save the fleet because he's going to, even though they've turned around, because we didn't really say well, how they got out of it, they kind of just accelerated really fast. Mm. So they went blasted past all the players and then kept accelerating and turned around and headed back towards the border. But he's put it on all, all the fleet's engines on, like, maximum throttle. So, and I thought they kind of dealt with that because I was like, but it took them ages to get there yeah. before. Mm. Why is it so quick now? And it's like, well, because he's fucking up the spaceships to go yeah. faster.
1: And they're using the Game yeah. of Thrones, like, time.
2: Game of Thrones time. Oh yeah, it's like oh, now it it takes the dramatically. Yeah, well, you know, it takes the dramatically appropriate amount of time. I feel like it's a dream video game space. That's okay. Yeah, Yeah. because I was thinking, well, it's convenient, but then I was also like, but it makes sense that it's convenient. Like right. And he's melting he, the engines. Well, yeah. Well, because like then, it's
0: kind of their last, it's a last ditch effort.
2: Yeah. And then when, when they think they're safe and then they have to go back again, Johnny complains that, like, like, of course, like now it's a video game because nobody ever escapes with like 10 minutes to go. Like, <laughs> uh, and he says something about he's going to kick a cat. I didn't, Cause I cause didn't aliens, get that reference.
1: Right, because like, he didn't want to be an alien. Oh, right. Because yeah, so if he, sees, he the cat, sees the cat, he's going to,
2: yeah, okay, right. Yeah. He's going to kick Jonesy. What a jerk. Oh, from Alien. Yeah. 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 The cat. Yeah. Oh, the the ginger cat. He's so good. He's like he just survives two whole films. I that's like right.
1: lost a bit of empathy for Johnny when he said, "I'd kick the cat." Yeah, I know he's like making a point, but I was like, mm, "You can get a little bit injured. That's all right."
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he, well, he, he almost uh, well, he, he's very he gets, ill. Yeah, so. emotionally
1: injured as well by having to do a murder. Yeah, yeah. A, a manslaughter, a self-defense. Yeah, a yeah, self-defense, self-defense. Yeah, yeah. That's,
2: that's what we call it. It's a, yeah. it's a noun now. Um, self-defense, but yeah, they, they go back to the thing. That's when he, they have the big second fight and he shoots the gunnery Mm -hmm. officer and they have to make it back to the escape pod and get out of the ship, which they do manage to do. And they turn around to watch them all leave. And we discover that the border is a giant game over sign. (laughs) Um, and they get away and they vanish and Johnny wakes up. He's in the spare room in Kirsty's house and he's like thinking about all the things that they've done and all the problems that he's got to go back to and he just turns over and goes back to sleep. Oh, hmm. well, that was kind of cute. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. like that. It's very relatable. Yeah, which kind of brings us to the end of the book. What do we how do we feel about it before we get onto our favorite bits or any quotes that we want to read out?
0: Yeah, I think by the end of it I I did really enjoy it. I was I I liked the journey that the characters went on. Um I had gotten over that whole aspect of it being aimed at like a a younger audience. Uh and, yeah, just kind of took it for what it was, a lot of fun. And also the whole idea of the other and the alien coming through was something that I enjoyed seeing and exploring further and getting that kind of closure towards the end with the characters and the empathy and the arc that they went on.
2: Yeah. How do we feel about the relationship between Johnny and Kirsty? Because we kind of only briefly touched on that, but they have a couple of moments where he really goes off at her for her competitive nature and the fact that she's really only in it to win it. And also her privilege, like, which is really what it's about. Like, you know, she's this upper class person who's got all this time and resources and is supported by her parents. And I, he never explicitly says it, but it's very clear, I think, that that's where that's coming from because he sees this person who has succeeded at everything she's tried because her parents give her everything she needs to succeed. And she thinks her parents are kind of dumb. Mm. And he's like, how dare you take this for granted? And he never say that, but I think that's fairly clearly what's behind that sort of Outpouring of of rage, and I think it's kind of unfortunate that you know the one female character in the book is the one who's presented that way. But otherwise, I felt that felt quite I don't know felt quite um, real to me.
1: Yeah, she was like a concentration of all the attitudes that are trying to be challenged. I think in mm. some of these, like you have to be in it to win it. The enemy is always bad, or or is the enemy. Um, she just kind of embodied all the things that I think were being attacked or like carefully stripped back. And so seeing her change or her attitude change is kind of what maybe Pratchett was hoping to achieve in attitudes of readers.
0: Hmm. And her life was she saw everything as a series ultimately of games. Mm. She had to win everything. And so that was interesting as well. I think he could see that in her. Like he'd mentioned it a few times. like these are all just different types of games. Yeah. All these things that you've won and do.
1: Yeah. Because I didn't mind him calling her out as much because I was like, no, he's justified in all these things pretty much. Like, he was even like rude, like saying, shut up and that kind of thing. I was like, but she's also very rude. Like, she is not at any point a victim or anything Mm. like that. She's mean.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. She she earns it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not disproportionate. And particularly when you consider the stakes of those moments as well. But Johnny also has that interesting thing where he has a a few different outbursts. Like, there's the one he has in the social uh, education class. Where mm. they're talking about, you know, some people are upset and someone's like, I can't believe all these people are like having fun blowing up people like it's a video game. And he's like, you think they're really just having fun? You think they don't think about it? You think they don't cry at night? Blah blah. blah. And you're like, well, like you have been through some shit, my friend. Mm. Like he's, I don't, I don't think he really could legit call it PTSD, but he's certainly having that kind of like, I have been through some trauma and I am mm. processing it. Because I'm realizing, like the experience I've had is of being kind of in an actual war where I'm killing people, and yes, it's not real, but it feels real to me. So I'm having a real reaction to it. So yeah, I thought that was really intense. And and that scene also
0: is kind of you don't realize it's him saying it until the end. Yeah, because yeah. he he just sees it as he hears someone having this outburst, and then you realize it's actually himself that's ha- having it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. again,
1: playing with our perspective and our assumptions. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the thing that struck me about this book is that if I had read it at the age that it's targeted towards, I think it would have challenged some of my attitudes and made me think about things that I wouldn't have been thinking about at that time, which is important for a book Mm. like this, I think.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'd be really interested to know what 12-year-olds reading it now would think. I mean, uh, there's often commentary about, you know, do you think someone reading it now would appreciate it because it has a, a lot of the specific references in it feel very dated now but I, I actually think like because there's not so many specific references to the the way the game itself works it's more about the packaging and the way yep. that it's and and you know it's kind of more analogous to a, a mobile game I think like if you had a mobile space combat simulator it probably would feel a lot like only you can save mankind these days yep. um, but with better graphics and so you know you could see it being adapted you know if they made a tv show or a film out of it now I think you could make a great film out of it and I think it would be an interesting adaptation because you you could fairly easily translate it into modern language and still have a lot of the same messages i think particularly because now video games also are, are, are kind of ubiquitous in a way that they were starting not to be well or well i guess the 90s were kind of when video games were, were really had made their comeback from the late 80s after the big crash of the early 80s mm. so it's it, it was they were still big then but now it's like you know if you ask People in high school, do you play video games, you get 90% of hands go up.
1: Yeah, You might hate this, but I think about the book, I think it's still accessible in the same way that historical fiction is accessible mm. because it is very much of a specific era mm. and it leans into that even like when it was written of that era because if I was writing a book now, you wouldn't necessarily put in the 2020 things. You just put sort of like a general modern era. But here he's specifically leaning into what it's like to be around in ninety two, ninety three, 93, and I think that does translate well. Now, which is down the line to historical fiction.
3: Mm, yeah. yeah.
2: Mentioning the leaders involved and things like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like we talked about this with truckers too, that that's often more successful, as you say, than a generic approach. I think kids would read it and they go, what do you mean someone didn't have a telephone? And go, What's I'll look a Walkman? That up. Yeah, it was a Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> like stuff like that. And they, it would be interesting to find that out. And I, I don't think there's anything in there that's too complicated to figure out from mm. context. Oh, um, a
1: Walkman is a, a music player that's for tapes?
2: <laughs> Thank With you With headphones Thank you Because said it'd be
1: interesting to figure that out But you don't have to Because I've told you now. Thank
2: you so much Liz You're welcome um, Do people have uh, favourite bits they'd like to, to refer to? Any favourite quotes?
1: I've got a quick quick one Which is in the aftermath of delivering the food When all of his friends are in space and, But they're not really um, And they're going away And Big Mac can't quite fathom that the aliens aren't the enemy And so, so one of them is saying That was a faux pas, Big Mac but like faux pas spelled F-O-E dash par spelled F O E dash P A R. And I was like, that's perfect because like foes are enemies. And it's just it's just such good wordplay. And that's like a classic practitionism that we don't see as many of in this book. That's fair. So yeah. That's my my one and only as in, like I liked a lot of them, but I've decided to distill it down to one.
2: There were a lot of little bits that I really liked, like little little touches that kind of I think revealed Pratchett's own interests like there's a couple of Dungeons and Dragons references which I really liked like when Big Mac is having is this is actually in a scene we didn't talk that much about when they're at school the day after the car accident and Big Mac has told everyone that Johnny pulled him out of the wreckage and which isn't at all what happened. And he decides to be vague about it and let him pretend to be tough because that's when he realizes that's an act that he does as a survival mechanism. Mm. And really underneath, he's, he's smarter, like, cause he's the one who can do maths by looking at it. And he, and, but he's playing the part of this tough guy. But one of the sentences in that is like, Big Mac have been thrown out of the school role playing club for getting too excited. <laughs> and I'm like, too excited about murdering monsters, I assume, like, not too excited about, Oh my God, I got a 20. Like, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, and then there's another reference to like um uh, Yolis's mother thinking everything is like Satan's child including Dungeons and Dragons. I thought <laughs> thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I had that one too. Yeah.
0: I liked how Wobbler said if role playing games of creations of Satan. That's dead clever of him. I mean sitting down there in hell working out all the combat tables and everything. <laughs> yeah, that was so great. <laughs>
2: Uh, there's an early one, which is very pratchety, which I liked it's one of the first scene where the squareway captain is talking to the the gunnery officer he, The gunnery officer says, This is not a wise move, he said is the only one I have said the captain wearily. No, we must fight on, and then we die, said the captain. We fight and then we die that 's how it goes. Then we die gloriously there's an important word in that sentence, said the captain, and it's not the word gloriously <laughs> and that is such a Pratchett- line. I really, that really tickled me. I like that one.
1: Yeah, it's good.
2: Oh, there's just a lot of little references to things that were quite nice. He makes up a bunch of Australian soap operas that have great names. Like there's Cobbers, which is clearly the neighbors oh. stand in. But is that what that is? Yeah, I had no yeah.
0: idea what that was either. And then there's that another one now. called, right. um
2: there's another one called She'll Be Right or <laughs> She'll Be Apples. Um But then there's another one called Mooney Ponds. Oh, wow. And I was like looking at that going... I bet UK Readers had no idea that's a real place. <laughs> I but didn't it, even register it's it. It's actually not that far from where this podcast is <laughs> recorded either. So. I do not remember that being. Yeah, it's, I, it's, it's like, like a thing. one-off reference. It, well, who knows? Maybe it was taken out of the later edition. Mm. I don't know.
1: No, it's in mine, but it's like it's Breeze Plus. It's oh, yeah, it's quickly. only mentioned
2: like once. It's it's near the mention of the of how all the things have clocks in them. Oh, in yeah. The we we, clocked, oh, we
1: should probably talk about that because yeah. I wrote down thermometer Tim instead of thermometer time oh, So yeah. I really enjoyed how – like he talked about everything having a clock on it and then he put the thermometer in and he's like, oh, it's like 1403. That's pretty bad. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was hilarious. Right
1: after they said it's four o'clock and I was like, that's, that's very good.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It was, yeah. Those 16. times the innovation catalogs that our parents had, like everything in there. There's a
2: know, lawnmower with a clock on it. Everything at a clock. Yeah.
1: But why?
2: <laughs> Here's a clock with another clock on it. I why mean. Why not?
0: That's what you need to ask yourself.
2: Yeah. If not.
1: Me don't then. you want to know
2: the time everywhere you go? If not the thermometer, can't you then wear what? a watch? I was going to say there's no there's no invention that allows you to do- wait. <laughs> this problem has been solved a, a long time ago. Watch. I did enjoy when when Johnny goes to Kirsty's house and she says come up to my room, and then she says don't worry, my parents are very liberal. <laughs> I watched Billy Elliot for the first time very recently, like in the last week. And the the things that that girl says to Billy, I was like, this is what's happening here. This is the same kind of UK <laughs> attitude of like tweens. We're not, we don't know what any of this sex business is, but we're going to talk about it as if we do. And I was like, that's weird. But I, I thought that was kind of interesting. That was great. And she's so scathing in her criticism of her mum, talking mm. about how she married when she's twenty. Imagine that. Like, While she's wow. standing there, yeah, yeah, so lack
1: of imagination. Oh,
2: harsh. So harsh. Ah. <laughs>
1: Um, I
0: like there was a section uh, earlier on about which gave an interesting insight to Wobbler, but also was just a very funny reference. Um, So it was about the time he'd written that game. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It says he'd written it so that if anyone kept their computer on for 3,000 years, they'd be rewarded by a little dot appearing in the middle of the screen and then a message saying... Welcome to Alpha Centauri, now go home. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because it's called Journey
2: to Alpha Centauri. It's
0: just so
1: clever, though. It's
2: just very good. It's great. It's great. um, Like, coming out a good eight years before the actual game Alpha Centauri, (laughs) by the way. Um,
1: I liked some near the end, because for the most part we see it from Johnny's perspective with some deviances into the alien perspective, and then suddenly we get one from Wobbler's perspective Mm. where he does call... Johnny Robber, which we don't, he only refers yeah. to that at one point. And it, we're seeing him from his friend's perspective, which I found really interesting and at the end.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, because Wobbler just happens to boot up the game as the final sequence is happening, and he gets passed by the fleet going one way and then passed by the fleet going back <laughs> And Johnny's says hi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
3: What are you
1: typing for? <laughs> I thought sort I of saw a friend. <laughs>
2: yeah, that was pretty great. That's
1: great. But I liked seeing him from a close perspective, but from another side. Which yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. Fleshed yeah. him out.
2: Right near the end, there's some, there's some good sort of commentary on the kind of things that action film heroes say, which, uh, I thought was, was fun. It's a very, um, some very Dean. So in the, in the Discworld books, there's a group of wizards who often get tied up in various magical apocalypses. Um, one of them is very susceptible to any kind of influence that's going on. Like when rock and roll comes to the Discworld, he gets himself a big quiff and makes himself a leather jacket. But there's one that is very aliens inspired with these weird monsters. And he's running around with his magic staff, shooting them like he's in aliens and saying hut, 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 hut. And he's like stay frosty like he's doing he's channeling that. And uh, very much so the lines, Make my shorts, eat my day was like <laughs> that was very Dean. I thought that was great. Like not really quite getting it.
1: So they keep rejecting the phrase kick some butt, and I couldn't help but wonder, is that British English rejecting American English consciously?
0: Towards the end, I think it was just a nice little summary of how he saw Kirsty in the way that she thinks, and you mentioned it before exactly when she sees the the gunnery officer at the end, and his mouth is bigger than normal. Like it's he's got way more teeth, and then Johnny just thinks it's her dream, and no wonder this is why she always fights. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a really interesting perspective on what her world must be like. Like I know that we kind of she is a mean-spirited character for a part of it. But also it gives you an insight into like maybe her life hasn't been that happy either. Like she's been fighting to to also be someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was kind of interesting.
1: No one is that motivated and that isolated and happy. Like you can't yeah. be that motivated without fear or stress being the thing that's driving you, and that's also not a happy
2: existence. Mm-hmm. So I
1: think that's a really good insight into that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so we we even get that empathy we were talking about for her Mm. rather than her just, you know, changing her mind to be more like Johnny's perspective. Mm -hmm. We also get an idea of what she's like, yeah. Plus she's also
1: had some insight into Johnny because when the mum gets the doctor from next door, she sort of talks about how she thinks he's been a bit neglected, even Mm -hmm. though she hasn't known him that long. Yeah,
2: Well, I think that, that brings us to the part of the podcast where we answer listener questions. And if you want to send us in some or make some comments about this episode, you can use the hashtag Pratchat28. On social media, we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Liz, what questions have we got for Only You Can Save Mankind?
1: Right, so um, we're going to do a cross-section of them because we got a lot of great questions this time, so we won't get to all of them. Here we go. So this one's from Paul Patiki from Twitter. Should Disney have made this film instead of Wreck-It Ralph?
2: I have some strong feelings about this question. My answer is no, they should have made this film as well as Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> no, I think actually someone else should make this. I think it would make a great film, but I also love wreck it ralph
0: i do love wreck it ralph i haven't seen the second one
1: apparently no. it's not as good
0: i haven't seen the second one but i still want to watch it see, yeah,
2: i love the
1: first one the second one i'm just like oh is it going to ruin the first one for me mm. Mm.
2: i do want to see it but i do adore the first film yeah i really liked it too
1: yeah. i'm gonna get tough with this one it's a grudge match only one of these films can exist which
2: ones are gonna be wreck it ralph yeah yeah I'm we already have Wreck-It the ralph book as well yeah, And the book is really good, so if it doesn't get made into a film, I'm fine. Whereas if you don't make the film of Wreck-It Ralph... That is a good point. It doesn't exist.
1: That was significantly <laughs> less tough than I thought it was going to be, yes. so all that ends well. Here's one from Steve Leahy from Twitter. Did the Screewee end up discovering a giant turtle in the space beyond game over? And he's got an asterisk saying, carrying four giant elephants, carrying a giant disc, etc.
3: Uh,
2: sure, why not? They 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 went off to join the wider fictional universe. <laughs> I
1: mean, I I would love that. That'd be great. They'd yeah. fit right in. Yeah. Imagine
2: if they crashed on the Discworld. I think they'd be worshipped as avatars of Offler.
1: I would read the living heck out of that fan fiction. Yeah. Maybe oh. that is like, or we don't know what time frame this is happening. Maybe that is the origin story of Offler. Oh. Mm. Yeah, maybe Offler is a
2: scree And he's just got bigger teeth, which means he can't. So Offler's a crocodile god in the Discworld, and he always fig fights out the the teeth are too big. Um, maybe which it is, was
0: Kirsty's imagination. Mm. Oh, yeah.
1: Maybe her birds didn't make it. No, they made it. They <laughs> oh, definitely made it. No, I they made it. The birds,
2: the the birds are safe. Yeah. They're still stuck in the... Doing bullets. <laughs> <laughs> They're flying around in the, in the ducks.
1: Um, this one's from Shannon. Does this rate among your favourite Discord novels?
2: I was not sure. I, I kind of – because I didn't remember it super clearly, but I remembered sort of vaguely liking it. I did think maybe when I reread it that I would sort of go, I see why I liked this as a kid, but I don't like it now. But actually I was really into it. I really enjoyed it. And I, I didn't mind I, – I mean, I've seen some criticism of it that feels that it's too heavy-handed or too obvious – but I actually don't mind that about this. I think there's a lot of good subtleties in there and I think it touches on some really great themes and particularly when you think about when it was written. I thought it was a bit of a pioneer in that. So I, I still really like it. So I think I, I, it's hard to top Truckers and the Truckers trilogy for me, but I, I love it. I think it's really great. It's up there in the top one for me.
1: <laughs> That's high praise.
2: <laughs> Amazing.
1: Um, I find it incredibly difficult to compare the different Series of Pratchett. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can't really compare this to Discworld or to Truckers because they are doing different things, but also similar enough in the ways that matter that you get the joy of reading the same writer. So, sure. yeah. I'm just going to politicianly not answer that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> well done. This one's from Lachlan via Discord. Which group of video game monsters will look back on you as a scourge of their species? Oh,
0: oh so many. demons. Actually, maybe that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Maybe that's being too uh, generous to myself, saying so many of them because <laughs> I'm not that good at video games. I love playing no. them, but I'm not that good.
2: Well, look, I mean, I did decimate the fleet of the Galactic Rebellion um, in Tie Fighter. I feel bad <laughs> about that one, and, um, but I don't. I like I said though, there, there weren't that many games that I played that were about blowing up aliens. But I've certainly shot a lot of demons. In I, I played a fair bit of Doom and Nazis. Quake played a lot of Wolfenstein. Yeah, Wolfenstein. Um if we're keeping to that era. Yeah. Yeah. I did play um what was the one I played Xenon 2 Mega Blast. That was sort of the main shoot 'em up one that I played as a kid. Um uh, which was which is it had really smooth graphics and really cool music, so it was quite popular. And the weird really interesting design, like all of the aliens were like sort of they were kind of like very organic blobby undersea creatures. Mm. They weren't undersea creatures, but they had that sort of look about them. And that was kind of cool. I don't know that they had a name, but I certainly blew up a lot of them. So I don't think they'd like me very much.
1: I have one very clear answer, and it is the monsters who stole the kelp treasure from <laughs> <laughs> from Freddy Fish and the kelp treasure. Damn them. Yes, but I got them good. I took back the kelp treasure, and I planted all that kelp. Well done. Yeah. This one is from Ian Banks via Discord. So this book deals a lot with fairly mundane issues that affect a lot of readers, such as divorce, fears of war, poverty, etc. Do you think that the experiences of writing for Johnny may have altered in some way the tone of later books? So Vimes' backstory of growing up poor, Tiffany's desire to help those that are worse off than herself.
2: Hmm, this is a really interesting question because, I mean, this book is from around the same time as Witches Abroad. So it's, it's after Guards Guards, but it's slightly before Men at Arms. And that is when you see that change in Vimes' attitude towards the monarchy. And and his backstory. And his backstory. So that could be a clear influence. That's a really interesting question. And I guess it's it's a question of whether we don't know if it was that stuff that Pratchett was thinking about at the time and it came out in this book and the subsequent Discworld books. Or did he think about it specifically because he wanted to write a book for kids that responded to the Gulf War and then that did sort of get him thinking on that track. And I... I don't know what the answer is, but it could be true.
1: I think they all, as in this is a cop-out answer, but they all influence each other. Like he Mm. develops ideas and you see like overlap between different books of what he was thinking about.
2: And it is something you see that he he comes back to the same themes and ideas quite often in different books, particularly ones written around the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We did get one, a late question that just squeaked in under under the wire from Sven Uckerman on Twitter who notes that he'd already asked us about the Discworld video games, which were adventure games that came out. There was uh, three of them, I think, from memory. But he's asked a bonus question. What would be your first computer game that you can remember? There's a bit of a tangential one.
1: Well, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not Freddy Fish, don't worry. <laughs> what,
2: what do you remember from before Freddy Fish?
1: Mind Maze. Mind maze. From, from Encarta 95 Encyclopedia where you're in a medieval castle. Oh, yeah. And to get through different doors, you click on a door and a quiz question will come up of things that you should have learned from reading the entire encyclopedia. <laughs> so you have to answer the question and if you get it right, you get to go through the door and it slowly like maps out where you've been because you're trying to get out of the castle or to a specific room at the end of it. So that's my earliest memory of a game. I think it sounds kind of like the one that Steve was describing earlier where it's like you're typing in the thing. Mm. to go, But, yeah. Wow. Because it's a test, but it's also a game. It's amazing. I guess I. it would
0: probably have to be ooh, maybe the Commodore 64. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I played any games before that, but my, my parents' friends had it, and there was a couple of games on there that I remember. One of them was, uh, I think it was like a digging game, and then there was another one. Was it Dig Dug? I think it was Dig Dug, yeah. That's what I was going to say, but I was like, I'm just Did making it. up. I write the
1: name of that?
0: <laughs> and then there was the hamburger game where you basically like went across the screen, like almost like you were digging um, oh, digging it and yeah. then it, you would build the hamburgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, Burger Time, I think is yeah, called. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So those two were probably the first ones. I mean, it's possible that I played like Space Invaders or something like that before mm-hmm. then, but those were kind of the first ones that, yeah, I can remember playing on consoles. Yeah. Which came before computers for me.
2: Yeah. Well, I think... I, I don't know that I played any really early arcade games because I don't think we had a lot of arcade games in the town where I grew up until the sort of resurgence of them in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, cause I remember playing the Star Wars arcade game and I played a lot of Street Fighter 2 because they had one in the like local, um, Chinese takeaway shop where we used to go and we knew the owners. So they'd sometimes come out and like just give us a bunch of free credits because <laughs> it was only costing them 20 cents a pop back in those days. They didn't care. Um, but the, um, I, I remember we had a, uh, an Atari Twenty Six Hundred. When I was a kid, we had, and I remember my 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 dad. When I used to go visit him, he had a he had like the old sort of wooden finish one, and we had the sort of slightly newer plasticky one at home. Um, and I remember playing a few games on that. But we also had a Commodore Sixty Four, and I don't remember which one I played games on first. But I I remember we had a couple of games on cassette because we didn't have very many cartridge games for the Sixty Four, so we didn't have very many good games at all for it. But I remember playing like um. Pitfall. We used to have Pitfall oh, yeah. on the Atari 2600. I used to play a fair bit of that. And I remember there was one on the Commodore 64. We ha- we didn't have Pac-Man. We had Mac-Man, <laughs> which was Pac-Man, but on the box art, he was wearing a little Scottish hat no. with a little sparring on the top or <laughs> not a sparring, but you know, you know, the little like a Shanter kind oh. of deal. Uh It was terrible. Uh, yeah. So I think those those are the couple of the earliest ones where I played a lot. There was also a shoot 'em up space game. What was it? pitfall was so hard. Oh, it was really I hard. We really
0: had that on Atari. As Could well.
2: not get past about five or six screens if I was lucky. There's
0: so many, so many games like that though back then. Yeah. yeah, they were just like brutal.
2: Well, the response time wasn't good either. You know. Yeah. But I also remember we the first shoot 'em up that I had was on the Commodore 64, and I don't remember the name of it, but the music, which was a very bleep bloop, was um, "Ode to Joy." <laughs> and so I'd be I'd be playing this space combat game, shooting at aliens, and it'd be like, doo, 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 doo. it was crazy. So we've got this one
1: from Sarah Isabella on Facebook. How well do you think it would translate to a young person now, given the references to the Gulf War and to pop culture at the time? So we've kind of covered that a bit. Mm-hmm. I think it would translate well, like yeah. yeah, yeah, because it stands alone as a historical text as well as a contemporary text back then. Yeah, Yeah. I think. And
0: general enough, I think, in a few areas for people to kind of put in their own ideas around, use their imagination for, you know, maybe games that are out these days that they can imagine themselves inside of.
2: Yeah, I I think that whole thing of the game feeling real and going into it through your dreams is still something that resonates strongly with the game-playing audience. Mm. So, yeah, I think so.
1: Um, This one's from Danny by Discord. If you had to be sucked into a video game, why would it be Tron?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It would not be Tron, although you would get to wear the cool, glowy outfits. Yeah. You mm. look cool.
1: Would Darth Punk be there?
2: Would, yeah, of course.
1: Always because of be law.
2: Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I've liked a lot of video games, um, but most of them are not places I would want to go. <laughs> Cause <laughs> do no thanks. horrible? Uh, maybe Mass Effect. Like they got cool. That would be cool. Cool like technology, and it's the Just future. Not Andromeda. No, I don't want to go to Andromeda. It's a long way from home. I mean, so is most of the places <laughs> in Mass <laughs> Effect. Uh, I don't know. What other worlds? I mean, I. I Because I I like a lot of fantasy role-playing games these days. I like games where it's a big explorer universe, but again, you know, they're full of peril and dangerous creatures, so I don't really want to go into the world of Fallout or Skyrim (laughs) unless I'll get eaten, or the Witcher, you know, because I would not be a Witcher in that world. I would get eaten by a Manticore or something, you know.
0: I'd be the guy with the arrow in the knee. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Um, Promise I used to fight.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm thinking, like, maybe I'd go into the world of, like, one of the puzzle games that I play.
0: Oh, yeah. The Witness. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah. Did you ever play that?
2: Yeah, I did. That I didn't finish cool. it, but it no, was cool. No, I got right to the end. I, I enjoyed it a lot, though. It's very pretty, like, sort of you walking around. Might get lonely, Solving though. puzzles. Yeah, because there's no people there. <laughs> Just statues. But it is a very beautiful landscape. Yeah, that'd be a good one.
0: It used be kind of interesting to wander
1: around. Yeah. I'm going to say Freddy Fish in the Kelp Treasure again. I'm sorry.
2: Can you breathe underwater? Yeah,
3: that was my yeah, well, so
1: question. you you're a fish in this scenario. Like you, or oh, because
2: like, you translate it into the world of the game.
1: Yeah, so like you automatically are – or you're a scuba diver or something. Oh, well, then maybe – I guess you'd be a main player in the games then, wouldn't you?
2: Well, then I would want to be Mass Effect. I could be like the engineer guy and have a cool Blade, like hologrammatic <laughs> knife tool thing. I always thought that was really cool. That was my favourite thing in Mass Effect. They didn't really – didn't really get to use it very much until the third game where you can stab bad guys in the head with it.
0: My favourite thing was being able to have relationships with m- women and men. Yes. And so I just went purely for the men and I was just like, this is great, yeah. which is also what I liked about Dragon Age.
2: Mm. Well, the first Dragon Age, is great for that.
0: I'd only played Inquisition, but
2: oh, I did I, love my, it. I've, I've just sort of tried to get back into Inquisition. My partner really is into it and is horrified that I hadn't played it, but I, um, I really love the first one mm-hmm. particularly. I was a big fan of that game, but now I'm trying Inquisition again and The Witcher Three. I'm I'm just sort of slowly dabbling in all of these big games, getting the thing they're pretty. There's, good. A lot. There's too many video games. This is a very difficult question.
1: You should try what I tried and know three games
2: <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah, that would be a professional hazard for me if I only knew three video games. <laughs> yeah,
1: but like, what if they're really good games? Like,
2: well, okay. I mean, probably some of the new
0: ones. If you only had to choose three, they like, probably last long enough to. Love well, that's true. I mean, it would,
2: it would be Skyrim and Fallout 3, and I don't know what the other one would be actually. Can you
1: imagine crashing into like Super Mario, but like as you are, you just like mess everything up because it's two dimensional. <gasps> <and you're, laughs> wait, like, wait,
2: wait, wait, wait. The answer's been staring me in the face. Clearly Pokemon. Oh, because oh, then you could go, so go and, and could find out which ones it, they eat.
1: Yeah, you could eat all of the Pokemon. No, I don't do want to eat starts. any of them. Not eat them all. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Why would you do that? Ben's Pokemon Delicious Adventure. I
2: just want to make friends with them all. It's so cute. And delicious. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: um, this question from Joel Molan via Discord. So Johnny seems unaware of the gnomes, even though he should be of good age and lives in Blackberry. Did the government hush it all up? Also, this book is very explicitly set against a real-world event, which is unusual for Pratchett. As youth, did you read books like this? And if so, how much would you reflect on these events? Mm. So two-part question: the gnomes thing. I that's good. I like the idea of them all existing in the same world. Yes. I assume they do. Maybe he's just been too distracted by games.
2: Well, they're very they very subtle references. And I I sometimes wonder if Pratchett had the idea that he was gonna make a bigger deal of that in later books, but then he doesn't really. I think I think there's another couple of references in the other Johnny books about places in BlackBerry that line up with it because also there's um they 'cause they demolished the old department store. So the, the premise of Truckers is that the gnomes have been sheltering in this department store mm-hmm. for generations. Uh, most which is of not them, very long. Uh, which is not very long, and but then it's going to get knocked down. They have to escape. Uh, and so um, they make their escape and in the process of doing so, accidentally burn down the department <laughs> store. But they build a new one, and, and in one of the later Johnny books, there's like a new fancy big department store, like a modern one, uh, or a mall, possibly it's a mall, uh, that's been built in the town. And so that um, is another clear reference that it is the same place. But also in, by the end of the Truckers series, spoiler alert, um, mm. They find their spaceship and fly back to Earth and collect all of their, you know, kin and head off uh, into space again. And there's all this these UFO sightings of an actual UFO, although there's only one of them. So I actually feel like maybe it would be fairly easy to cover up.
1: Yeah. And because- you'd think it's like a crock. You'd be like, oh, well, is that thing from the community paper that's not real? Yeah. But what if the gnomes are an earlier video game alien that got brought to Earth? And that's why they crashed.
2: Mm. Would explain why their starship has a human name. Mm. Because it's called the Does that mean they went past the game over sign? (laughs) Or
1: the the other way. Like they came. (laughs) They've come from the the other side side. of the
2: game over sign. Maybe that's what would you like to play a new game? Yes, no means. (laughs) Ah,
1: because it's like, yep.
2: Yes or gnome.
3: Oh, dear.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, Sorry. That's very good. So, second part of the question about books set against real world events. yeah. Um, I read Goodnight, Mr. Tom um, as a. I don't know how old I was. It was in junior school at some point. It's set during World War II. Um, It's also like a film or a series. And it's sad because it's like some real sad, brutal stuff. Like you lose characters that you care about because it's set during wartime. I remember bursting into tears in class um, during quiet reading time. We are all quietly reading our books and looking like a massive loser. But (laughs) um, And I also read this book that was set against the Tiananmen Square Massacre. So those are the two that stand out. Usually books are more vague. They don't Mm. tether specifically to an event. But those two stand out. Um, And I think they were its learning experiences because as a kid, I had known about World War II because my dad grew up during it and I heard his own stories. But when you read a book, you are experiencing it as though it's happening to you. Mm. And so it's another perspective that I wouldn't have gotten. And it was the same from the Tiananmen Square Massacre. You get it from a character who doesn't end up going to it, but someone really close to her ends up dying in it. Oh, full on. So, yeah.
2: I think the closest thing I can think of is time travel stuff that I read, which occasionally, you know, the time to, the characters would go back in time. And actually, the main one was a Doctor Who spin-off novel called "Who Killed Kennedy," which is all about this.
1: The Doctor killed Kennedy? No, no,
2: no, <laughs> no. But interestingly, no. It's it's all about a journalist who's originally from New Zealand who's around at the time when a lot of the stuff where the Doctor's stuck on Earth is happening. So he's kind of like experiencing it from the outside. And then he, like, finds all this other weird stuff going on and tries to report on it, and then there's this whole time travel plot to do with, like, assassinating Kennedy because that's his other obsession is the Kennedy assassination. And that was probably the first book that I'd read that was around a big historical event that I actually knew anything about.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
0: Yeah, there's not many that I can think of too. I'm sure there's probably one or two that I'm just, like, completely forgetting, but Hmm. I think the closest I got were probably – you know, like hinting at very similar things like the um, Tomorrow When the War Began series, that kind of thing felt, at the time, at least for me, mm. felt very realistic, you know, like something that I could imagine happening somewhere else or even here.
3: Mm.
1: And that gives a sort of longevity as well because you can project it onto the past, the mm. present, or the future. Exactly. Yeah. All right, final question. Yep. This one is from Danny via the Discord. There's one key question posed in the book which you guys should answer. If not you, who else? It's a good one to end on, isn't it? Well,
2: I mean, this is why we have guests, right? Yeah. So we're, we're nominating Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Steve. Right, yeah. Steve. It's why it's you, man. Yeah.
0: Um, it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who are you going to pass it to? Um, I mean, I guess with that's right at the heart of the book, isn't it? So it's kind of like it. It kind of has to be you, really. Yeah. 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 Because no one else is going
2: to do it if you don't
1: reluctant heroes
2: yeah but i think that also it's an interesting question because now we think of that question i think now you know who's gonna stand up for climate justice who's Mm. gonna you know all these contemporary issues we feel like governments and official agencies are not rising to the challenge Mm. it has to be us and it's that's hard because like we don't all feel like we have got the energy or the solutions to go out and and fix these problems and of course in some cases we really only have a very limited impact, but we we all have to do what we can.
0: So. It'd help if we had a thousand lives though. Yeah.
2: It would help. Hundred yeah.
1: percent. So you always like imagine there's someone better qualified than you. No matter how confident mm. you are, you always go, but there's someone who's like in a better spot. And he even has that in the book. He has like Sigourney or Christy, who is who like is arguably better qualified, oh, but yeah. she absolutely is not.
2: And they talk about that. It's like, and she says something like yeah. that. They chose you, and it's like, yeah, well, they asked you, and you didn't say yes. Yeah. 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 So it's very good. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good question to round out on, I think.
2: I think so too. And that brings us to the end. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: It was great. I am looking forward to reading a lot more Terry Pratchett, so we'll have to uh, get some of your recommendations off. Offline. Oh, you're getting a list. It's yeah, what's yeah. It's happening. We you will can't tailor it for you list. personally. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I can't, be, I can't wait to be in with the in-jokes next time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll lend you something. <laughs> no. Great.
2: Um, Steve, so if people want to find out more about you or see any of your work, where should they go? How can they find out?
0: Um, Probably, I'd say just search my name, Steve Lamatina, L A M mm-hmm. A T I N A, And you'll probably find me on Instagram and all of the socials, Twitter, et cetera.
2: We'll get some links up to those profiles on our show notes. Thank you so much. Now, this will be back next time mm. when we're returning to the Discworld after our little detour to another universe known as ours, and more it's or less.
1: closer to home than usual.
2: It is, weirdly, because what are we reading next time? The Last Continent, 4X. We're going to return. We're going to return to the land <laughs> where we're we from, Yeah, uh, which is going to be – Look, it's going to be an interesting one, I think. But we thought we'd invite a guest back who's been on the podcast before. Fury. Yeah. So, we're really looking forward to having them back on the podcast. We're going to be discussing The Last Continent. If you've got questions about Rincewind's journey to the continent of 4X, uh, the Discworld equivalent of Australia, we would love to hear them. You can get them to us via social media by using the hashtag Pratchat29. Um, You can also send those to us via email if you want. No one ever does, but just in case, uh, our email address is chat at pratchatpodcast.com. And look, while you're at pratchatpodcast.com, remember that you can help support the podcast. We've got a lot of lovely subscribers. We want to say thank you to all of you who help us make this podcast possible. So thank you so much. And to any of you who want to support the podcast, you can find out how to do that on our website. But also, you don't have to do it with money. It also really helps us if you recommend us to anyone you know who might enjoy the works of Terry Pratchett or wants to get into them. And it also helps us if you rate and review us on whichever platform you happen to listen to us on because it helps more people find the podcast. And, you know, it's it's worth doing this if there are people listening. We want to get all the way to the end of the complete collection, mm. which is quite a journey. The and other it's,
1: side, of game over.
2: It's always slightly more. <laughs> every time I look, you'd think that there would be no more, but there are. There's keeps always more. Keep
1: it It's
2: amazing. Well, look, until... Next time. Please, when you're asked if you want a new game, select yes. You've been listening to Pratchat, the monthly Terry Pratchett Book Club podcast, with Pratchat's Elizabeth Flux, Ben McKenzie, that's me, and guest Steve Lamartina. Pratchat is produced and edited by me, with music by David Ashton of Sample and Hold Studios. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pratchett Podcast, and listen to past episodes and support the production of new ones via com Join the conversation for this episode using the hashtag Pratchat28.
3: Pratchat is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. We make
2: entertainment for your ears, like the Doctor Who podcast, Splendid Chaps, and time travel comedy
3: series, Night Terrace. To find out more, visit SplendidChaps.com.